Blog Talk Radio. Thank you. 
judgment comes upon the law. No time to waste, run to the cross. Drunk old lies of this age. Feels too smart to believe. Trade their future for their lust. Blinding passion, they call you to join them. Fall into the order that Satan has designed. Men getting ready to sell their soul for a chance to receive his fire.
faster than we've ever seen in our entire lives. And we just praise you for all these things, Lord, because it, it does. It does indeed keep us on the edge of our seats. It gives us all immense, immense hope uh, that uh, the time that we have left here is growing exceedingly short. We've known for quite some time that it that it has been very short, but I don't think we've uh, been able to embrace it at the level or the magnitude that, that we are now. And um, and that makes that makes you know life uh, well you know it doesn't make it any easier as uh, as the uh, fiery trials uh, increase in many of our lives but um, it certainly does give us hope that otherwise we would not have knowing the things that we know seeing the positioning of the various entities in the places that they are understanding the 2030 uh, great reset agenda seeing all these dynamics in play and having them come all together at the same time is just an amazing fulfillment of bible prophecy on a level that i don't think any of us could find the words to express and we praise you father because it is highly motivational it is very difficult uh to endure these days without such a um revelation of uh of bible events all kind of uh aggregating into one big uh, end time story, and we just praise you for that, Father, because it, it does. It positions our hearts exactly where, we, we, you know, we we're pointing in the right direction. We're trying our very best to to get everything just right and harmonized totally with our walks with you, Father. We're not perfect; we never will be. But but we thank you. We give you all the praise and glory. And now to Him, our Lord Jesus, who's able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless before the presence of your glory, Father God, with exceeding joy. And to you, Father, our Savior, who alone is wise. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. I pray that every single person is listening live, every single person is listening to a podcast recorded, will bow their head at this moment. Join us in prayer just for a moment. As we lift up to you, Lord Jesus, the words that you said in Matthew eighteen nineteen, where you said, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And Lord Jesus, we pray that we will be counted worthy to escape all these things that are definitely about to come upon the earth any time now. They're happening in many places. And stand before you, Jesus at the wedding supper. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bye. 
Well, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my goodness gracious. Look at all the things that are going on out there. And these are the days that we have been waiting for for a long, 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 long time. Of course, I do believe, even though I am getting bombarded, as I would expect, uh, from a whole lot of different folks, um, uh, many of them re-waking up. Uh, I will use that term, re waking up uh, to the things that they see happening around the world. A lot of people do have a tendency to backslide. Uh, and then they see things happening and they say, oh, wow, and they kind of flip out. And then next thing you know, I get an email and, they're, and then they want to run down. They want me to give them a rundown uh, of what I think about stuff. And, um, you know, I always like to throw caution out there because one of the things that's been very consistent for all of us is every time we get excited about something end times, some type of a major end times biblical timeline event, such as what's happening right now in the Middle East. Every single time that happens, there is a an effect, and that effect is disappointment. Okay, now I, I say that with the greatest of care because I am not suggesting that this is going to end up in disappointment. I don't, I don't know. It depends on how tempered we are because I – now, while I could be wrong about this, and we have been so many times, I mean, my goodness, if I had a dime for every time I was wrong, holy moly, uh, I'd be doing this from a 40-foot, you know, three-mast yacht, you know, with a, with a huge, huge Internet uh, satellite feed uh, from, uh, you know, Caribbean Island somewhere. Praise Jesus. But, um, but anyway, you know, you, I would like to believe that we learn from that school of hard knocks. I would like to believe that we learn over time. You know, that whole definition of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result is like, you know, insanity, right? And, um, you know, and that's exactly what we did from 2011 to 2012 to 2013, 2014, 2015. Right. We chased raptures. That's exactly what this radio show did. We chased after raptures. So every time somebody came along and said, oh, this next Tuesday, there's going to be a rapture. Or, oh, this Christmas at, you know, on such and such a date or such and such a time at two o'clock in the afternoon, there's going to be a rapture. You know, we, we literally hunted down people, okay, and brought them on the program, you know, and, um, you know, because they thought that there was going to be the rapture was going to be happening next week or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and th that's because I felt in my heart I was wrong. I felt in my heart uh, back in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, etc., that we were literally that close. I just was befuddled and dismayed that it took as long as it did. And we're still not there. I mean, here we are. I, I have. As, as many of you know, I collect prophecies, dreams, and visions. I have for many, many years. And, um, and I have, uh, I think, something to the effect of about 1,300 pages in Microsoft Word of prophecies, dreams, and visions. I don't even know how many thousands of radio shows we did with believers that uh, receive, you know, receive prophecies, dreams, and visions, etc., I have no idea, but it's been a lot. It's been a whole lot. And um, one of the things we learned is that our Heavenly Father relents. He changes his mind. Uh, it, he, it does really, it, honest to goodness, uh, I, you know, I have a book in my collection behind me. It's called God at War. Now, I, I, you know, I, it's a very, very big book, and you pretty much need about a year to read it, unless you're like Evelyn Wood and you're like a super-duper speed reader. But, um, but anyway... 
you know, we know that God is in control, but at the same time, it almost appears, and by the way, Chuck Misler did a fantastic teaching on this, that um, if you study, like, you know, Moses and the lineage of Jesus and all that kind of stuff, going all the way back to Abraham and and Isaac, Jacob, and all all that, when you look, when when you track it through the Old Testament, it appears, and at least it did to Chuck Misler, and he does it, like I said, I don't remember the name of the teaching, so otherwise I'd share it. But he does, he at one time had done an absolutely beyond fabulous job of talking about that lineage, one event, one person, one, you know, person after another. Um, and it w- and he and his position was that you he, he he felt in his heart that it seemed like God was kind of toying with the devil. You know, uh it, it was like every single time the forces of darkness or whatnot would you know come close to being able to dork with or you know uh kabosh, we'll say kibosh, uh Jesus's lineage, um something miraculous would happen. Okay, and and he and it was just an excellent, excellent teaching, and it's true. When when you follow along real closely and take notes and stuff, it really did kind of look, uh, you know, to to Chuck Misler's point that um, our heavenly Father was toying, you know, kind of dorking around and toying and messing with with Satan. Okay, as he was protecting the lineage of Jesus throughout, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, really thousands of years of time. So it, 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 it you know, is that dynamic taking place right now? There's a question for you. Is that dynamic taking place right now? Is our Heavenly Father at full-blown throne room, uh, you know, war? Okay, and when I say war, God is always in control. Okay, he is in control. Okay, it's all over the Bible. You know, I could, you could say Job chapter one. Okay, Ecclesiastes seven fourteen. The evidence of how much control that our heavenly Father exhibits on the earth is. It goes. You can't quantify it. You could sit. You could probably do a teaching on it um, if you dug and dug. You know, if you dug enough through the scriptures, you could probably dig up enough scriptures that would make you know, the argument that God is in control, you know, a hundred times over, maybe 200 times over. Okay. For sure. But, um, it's very difficult for us to decipher, to fully understand, to come to some level of, of reasonable comprehension. It, it, you know, it echoes the uh, scripture, you know, and I think it's Isaiah 58, but I'm not really sure. This is not one that I, uh, I have chapter and verse uh, memorized. Uh, actually, I can I can type it in because if I don't, uh, West Coast Walder will, and then he'll give it to me if he's listening. But, um, you know, as high – no, 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 that's Psalm 10. That's, that's the wrong one. Um Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, here it is. Okay. My ways are not your ways. There we go. Okay. So that's Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are so as high as heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I think really the takeaway from that incredibly awesome 
passage is, you know, as much as we all want to intimately understand our father, his motive, I mean, we know certain things because he tells us. He tells us, I would want not one to perish. He tells us that we're supposed to go out and make, um, you know, uh, disciples of all the nations. You know, he tells us that, you know, he, you know that we're supposed to proselytize, you know, um, and uh, he also, we are taught through the scripture and through prophecy, dreams, and visions how vitally important, which, again, it's another thing that cannot be quantified, how vitally important our prayers are. Our prayers are arguably the greatest, most powerful ministry work that can be done on the face of planet Earth. Nothing is more, more, nothing is more important than our Heavenly Father, than our prayers and our love and our giving to other people. Okay, which is captured all over the Bible. Okay, so, um, but I think through Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, our Heavenly Father is just kind of giving us a little bit of a warning, a tap on the shoulder to, you know, to, you know, to say, hey, you know, um, Proverbs 25, too, you know, it's it's the glory of God to conceal the matter and the glory of, you know, men to search out a matter. You know, so God it, it does a fabulous job, I think, uh, scripturally speaking, to kind of like, let us know that even though we all hunger and thirst to want to understand things and what's going on around us and, and et cetera, um, we're never going to figure it out. We're just not. You know, we know certain things, and um, and through prophecies, dreams, and visions, we have a pretty good understanding of who's who in the – you know, I like – it's a it's a, a colloquialism, who's who in the zoo. Um, you know, I do and admit I do because of the dreams that my mother had when I was 10 years old that she revealed to me. Uh, plus also Jonathan Kleck's uh, prophecy, which was, the, I believe, one of the first ones, if not the, the very, very first one in the entire world uh, where uh, somebody prophesied that Obama was the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, I had completely forgotten that my mother, when I was 10 years old in 1972, sat me down and told me that the Antichrist was alive. She had seen him in a vision, and she said, Johnny, he's just about exactly your age, and he is a mulatto man. Okay, so for my mother to tell me something like that back in 72 was very, very significant, particularly because my mother was also one of those people who believed that the Great Tribulation was right around the corner. Matter of fact, she moved our entire family um, out uh, two miles north of Hummelstown, Pennsylvania, at 25 Elm Street, uh, to a little seven-acre plot of land or whatever. And my dad turned Amish on me and uh, basically, you know, got a rototiller and said, you know, Time to pick the beans, boy. So I was the guy who had to cut the heads off all the chickens and hundreds of chickens. I don't even know how many ducks. Uh, and you, any kind of vegetable you can think of, you know, a cold cellar was dug by a backhoe, the whole deal. And, um, you know, it's weird. It was like my mom was a paradox in the sense that she said she saw the Antichrist and, he, and the Antichrist was my age. But then on the flip side of that, she's moving us out two and a half miles north of uh, the square of Hummelstown. Uh, and uh, and preparing for the Great Tribulation. So, yeah, it was anomalous and strange, and par another word would be paradoxical in its be in its behaviors. Um, but I but I also um, excuse, excuse my mom's you know miss her. I don't want to. I don't know how to how do I want to say it. How do I want to say it? It doesn't bother me that she got her wires crossed a little bit timeline wise because. 
the um, person that she was studying the Bible under, who was an awesome guy, just an awesome guy, fabulous testimony, just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man of God, um, he was a preterist. And so he believed that you could take the Bible out of order, uh, particularly the prophecies in the book of Revelation and stuff, and you could shuffle them around and overlay them. He believed that they were all extremely metaphorical. And so uh, a preterist who believes in uh, extremely strong metaphorical biblical meaning, what they what they will do is um, they will map things out of order. Uh, they'll say, well, the second trumpet, uh, you know, is is this. Then they'll point to a couple of obscure words and they'll say, this word lines up with this word. And this is what happened in 1978 and yada, yada, yada. And I believe that that was actually a manifestation of the second trumpet. Because so, they, th- that's what they do, you know. There's also, um, you know, and I love this guy. I'm not, I'm not dogging him. I, I'm not dogging Walter Veith. I think Walter Veith is a fabulous, fabulous teacher. I bought his entire DVD series, <coughs> Onslaught, and um, and I studied the, I studied it so hard. Oh my goodness gracious, I couldn't, I you you couldn't get me out of my chair. You couldn't. I was so affixed to his teachings. The only point that I just stopped, uh, you know, listening uh, and and put it aside was when he got into the book of Revelation, because I realized that he, too, is also a highly metaphorical preterist. And I, I don't I'm the opposite of that. OK, I am a literalist. As a matter of fact, um, for what it's worth. Um, I have a, in in the tagline of my um, email, um, I have uh, a quote that is from a book in for all the way back to 1840, and it the quote goes like this: About the time of the end, in all probability, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition okay so basically um by the this book was uh is the the author is reverend j w brooks and the name of the book is the literalism elements of prophetical interpretation uh okay so anyway um uh, for all the way back to 1840 now, I find that to be that the very statement that this man made that I just read to you was highly prophetic. And the concept of it being in the midst of much clamor and um, opposition is very, very true. What's really fascinating, which is one of the things I absolutely adore about Stephen Ben Noon, because he tears apart the Hebrew fabulously. Uh, and we've had him on the program so many times. I love it uh, because he's one. He is the only one, in my personal opinion, that really he doesn't care what other people think about him. He's going to report what he sees, and uh, and and I praise Jesus for him. I do because you know what? Um, they're they're just everybody else is worried about what Tom, Dick, Harry, Sally, and this person thinks and that person thinks, but but Stephen goes in and he looks at the Hebrew and he says, you know what? I see the rapture referred, you know, we, we brought him on the program one time because he found, 
an innumerable list of Old Testament scriptures that were all talking about the rapture. Hallelujah. Another time he came on the program this many years ago, uh, he had found, uh, he had said, uh, are there alien invasions in the Old Testament? And I was like, okay, drop everything. Get him on the show as soon as possible because, you know, that's stuff I was teaching for a real long time. And then to have him come on and just expand on it, you know, to a level that, I don't have the capability to do was just such a blessing. So anyway, uh, I will, you know, I, I, I just praise God for his work and uh, also for his, you know, boldness to come out and go, you know, he, he, you know, to go where no man has gone before. Hallelujah. So anyway, praise Jesus. I always love uh, when he joins us on the program and today uh, more so than ever before is his work um you know is from Israeli news uh live and um and uh hold on just a second I just gave the link to sister Vera and I'm going to go ahead and share this with you because uh people aren't very good at searching okay they get confused pretty easily and I understand that uh I am I'm real good at searching uh, the internet I've been you know that's what I do. Okay. It's a big part of my job and I've been doing IT computer stuff, you know, for over 37 years. So anyway, um, so his YouTube channel is entitled Israeli News Live. And if you type it just like that into the YouTube search uh, field, okay, you will, um, you'll find it. Now, let me just make sure I'm not telling a fib accidentally. Okay, so I'm on YouTube. I'm going to go ahead and put Israeli News Live in there and hit the button. And, uh, yep, at the very tippity-tippity-tippity-tippity top of the uh, web browser is Brother Stephen Ben Noon's uh, YouTube channel. Praise God. So um, you you definitely want to take advantage of that because uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's – there's a lot of voices out there that are sharing very relevant information, but uh, you know, we, Stephen is an authority to that that goes where no man has gone before. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, on that note, glory to God. Let's go ahead and uh, pound our way through the news. Uh, Brother Stephen will be joining us in about an hour, uh, and uh, around eight thirty or so. So he's going to be with us for, uh, you know, a whole 90 minutes. So that will give him a whole bunch of time to really – one of the things that's a super-duper blessing when, when he comes on the program is he will go into details, okay, that uh, he oftentimes does not go into on his own program. All right, a lot of times he'll bring on an expert like so many other, uh, you know, video and media, uh, you know, sources do and it'll be kind of a back and forth and they'll have the you know the resident expert of that particular program on there and you know in that case he's not really spending as much time sharing his ideas as much as he is soliciting the ideas of other experts to kind of get a well-rounded feel for uh, what the consensus is out there, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I like to do that myself. I mean, who would want to watch George Norrie do, you know, coast-to-coast AM all by himself? 
You know, it's not that George Norrie can't do Coast to Coast AM all by himself, okay? He can't. You, you can believe that George Norrie, and I'm not picking on him, I'm just using him as a, an example, but you can believe that due to the number, the extremely large number of years that he's been hosting Coast to Coast AM, um, that he is probably an expert on a, I'd say, a dozen or more different subjects. And he could probably fill up that show every single night by himself for a year straight. But the thing about it is um, people go to his program to not just hear what he thinks, but also to hear you know, a little bit of a well-rounded series of guests to, so that they can get um, multiple perspectives and do some, uh, you know, deep dive research on their own as well. Okay, so uh, that is a method that uh, Brother Stephen uses uh, and does an outstanding job of that. It's also uh, one of the things that I like to do as well on this program, as you know, I um one of one of my favorite things to do especially within the last oh I don't know 3 years or so is to play um uh you know audio bites news clips of um other shows and such so that you can hear that well-rounded group hopefully well-rounded group of experts contribute to the dialogue you know I could sit here until I'm blue in the face and say this is what I think this is what I think. This is what I think. What I will tell you that I think is that we all have to take a little bit of a chill pill because it is very, very exciting for those of us who are watching. Listen, folks, I have never seen the Bible. I mean, I, I talk about it all the time. I say it all the time. It's probably, you know, an innumerable number of times uh, to quote the scripture, you know, in Hebrews twelve twenty two. But anyway, um, how the Bible has been reading like a newspaper. I mean, we had that one show, I don't know, what was it, a year ago, maybe two years ago? Man, when you look back, hindsight is like, oh, my gosh, 2020. I mean, you go back and you're like, holy moly, like when we were analyzing how long we've been bringing Robert Vandreas Mitchell on the program, 52, he comes on monthly roughly with a couple of uh, technological issues that stopped the show, but uh, 52. You know, and then you go, 50, or no, it's more than that. Was it? No, was it 52? So that would be 52 months. That's all. I, that was a long period of time. So anyway, and that, you don't notice it when you're going forward in time. You know, when we, when we look forward in time, everything crawls. Everything goes super duper duper slow. It does, doesn't it? You look back in time and you go, oh my gosh. Look at how fast every all the time is going. I mean, I, I know that all of us, I, I, you know, I can't speak for every single listener of the program. And I do thank each and every one of you, especially the, the you know, I just want to say praise Jesus for every single one of you. And I do pray for you. I really, really do. And Reverend Tracy Shulman is, is right. Uh, quite frequently, not every single morning, but quite frequently, I am in tears beseeching God from the bottom of my heart with tears rolling down my eyes on behalf of the listeners of this program because I really, really, really mean it when I say, when I beg God, and that's essentially uh, – Oh, 
a synonym of the word to besiege. Okay, to, when you it's 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 a very emotional, heartfelt petition to our heavenly Father. The word besiege. Okay, and uh, you know the closest synonym I can think of in English is to to beg him. Except you're doing it from the bottom of your heart. You're not. It's not, um, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I pray very, very fervently for every single listener of this show. In fact, I'll say, Father, in the name of Jesus, every listener, past, present, and future, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, please, please find us worthy to escape or counted worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before you, Jesus, at the wedding supper. I pray fervently for a tenfold blessing for every single one of you who even mentions me by name to the Lord. And I mean it. I mean, I pray fervently. And quite honestly, you know, not every single time, but an awful lot of the time. It's very deeply heartfelt, you know, coming from, it's it's tears. Tears in my eyes, because that's how strongly I feel about it. I want every single, what have we been beating the drum for over all these years? 12, you know, we're approaching, coming up in July, roughly, of this next year, we will hit 13 years. Now, in 13 years, but see, this program isn't for everybody. We don't play to the wide, the wider group of Christians out there. This, and I, I don't know if the word play was the best choice of words, okay? But what I'm trying to say is this this radio show focuses on mysteries of the Bible, mysteries. And I have so many, so many, so many, so many, so many times have been lambasted, beaten up, disparaged. I've had one of the reasons why we won't schedule a a radio show until the actual day of the show is because we've actually had Christians go to the guests and say terrible, awful, lying, wrongful things about the program. I'll, now, sometimes it was just because they were hateful, lying type of people, okay? And, but other times it was because, you know, as a matter of fact, one of their names got uh, brought back into my heart right now. And Father, I just pray you know the person's name. And I pray in the name of Jesus, you, you see it in my heart. And I pray, Father, that you will forgive that person and just love upon them and find them also counted worthy. I pray that we all are in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. But... <clears throat> You know, uh, so so believe you me, um, I know I sound like a broken record when I'm asking people to pray for me, but let me tell you something. It's, it, it's really serious. It really is. Now, I'm not going to get into the details, and I'm not going to speak negativity, okay, because there's life and death and the power of the tongue. I'm just going to say thank you, every single one of you that takes the time to pray for me, because I'm not whining and crying and boo-hooing over the situation. I'm not exaggerating it. It is... Actually, I'm not going to get into the details. I'm just not. But um, but anyway, I praise God for your prayers because I honestly believe from the very bottom of my heart that they sustain me. I truly believe that. I believe that if it was not for the prayers of the listeners of this program, I don't think the program would be around right now. I don't really don't. Um, it, you know, not to mention that this program has a target on it the size of Texas, and I have a target on my back the size of Texas. 
there is nothing the devil would like to do more than take me out. I mean, I'm not going to get into the testimonies and everything, but I got, I mean, I lived it. <laughs> okay. So if you're privy to the testimonies of how the devil tried to take me out more than once, especially the really big event, then you get it. I'm not, I'm, you know, I, but anyway, praise God for all those things. He certainly does give me a interesting testimony. I probably should do a three hour program that just starts right out and does my whole testimony again. Because you know what? The 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 testimony that I have posted on tribulation-now.org, it's only a couple hours long, and it's missing everything from like 2016 forward, <laughs> which was really when stuff started, unbelievable stuff started happening. And it was just unbelievable. So anyway, praise God. Um, uh, thank you. I, d- I just wanted to say thank you to all of you that do take the time, and I do pray for you as well. Now, we are getting very close. Never, you know, uh, you know. again, in 12 years, 7,000-plus radio shows, an untold number of prophecies, dreams, and visions that we have uh, touted, uh, read um, over and over and over and over again, done entire prophecy and vision shows where we played audio bites of, of prophecies, dreams, and visions over and over and over again. Okay? Here's the thing. We don't know. See, I had one person say, wow, does it, could this possibly lead up to that Iranian missile seen by Sarah Manet in 1979 being shot, for, you know, with the nuclear warhead on it, being shot from Libya, you know, but it really was by our, you know, shot by Iran, which was the starting major event in Sarah's vision in 1979 about the end times that kicked it all off. Well, here's the thing. We, God relents. He changes his mind. And we don't even know how often he does it. We don't know, you know, how often he listens to the prayers of the saints. We don't know how often he adjusts the biblical end times timeline. It doesn't mean that the Bible is going to change. It doesn't mean that the prophecies in the Bible are not going to come true, because they all will, for sure. Okay, but what it does mean is that prophecies, dreams, and visions can be, not always, not always, but can be progressive. Okay, so if enough people are praying and there is a shift in the tide of how things are unfolding across the world, etc., etc., then our Heavenly Father can relent. He can make an adjustment to that timeline, and he can allow other things that perhaps we weren't expecting to happen, and it will throw us off of our game. We'll think we have it all figured out just like I thought I did back in 2015 and 2016, and I and many of us were absolutely, well, the only word would be stupefied. Stupefied basically means that you're so shocked that you can't talk. Stupefied means you're so blown away that you cannot even put words together. Matter of fact, some of the best acting I've ever seen in a movie of a person who was stupefied was in the movie Contact with Jodie Foster when she was launched into the wormhole in that silver orb thing that had the electromagnetic spinning whatever, and it jettisoned her into a wormhole, and suddenly she was, who knows how many light years across the galaxy, and she was able to see civilizations on other planets. 
It's one of the best scenes in sci-fi movies ever. And she was stupefied. She looked out, I guess, some kind of a viewing portal that they had built into the side of this tank, and she saw the planets going by as she was, you know, and, and she saw the civilizations. She saw the, just like Earth, you know, when you look at Earth from, you know, outer space, for those of us who know that the Earth is spherical in shape. Um, but anyway, um, and that's okay. If people want to believe it's pink, purple, polka dotted colored, or they want to believe it's a shape of a triangle or a hexagram or whatever, that's fine. It's fine. The thing that's the most important is that we love one another. That's how God, that's how our Lord Jesus told us all. The world will know you by how you love each other. And what do we see today? We don't see that, do we? We don't. And have I experienced it over the last 12 years? I can't really say that I have. I mean, there are a handful, and I praise Jesus for every single one of you that are, have been kind to me and prayed. I mean, thank you. Thank you. You have no idea. You really don't. How God will use you sometimes to email me. I'll get an email from somebody in South Africa, or I'll get an email from somebody in uh, the southern part of Asia, like I did the other day, and uh, they'll be like, hey, I've been listening to you since all the way back in 2011, yada, yada, and this, that, and the other thing. And then they'll say something, they'll give me a testimony about something they're excited about, and, and I'll be blown away. You know, uh, one such person uh, said they were probing around on tribulation-now.org and found the, the menu item that talks about casting lots. And um, I'll share this with you. I had never heard from this person before, but what a blessing it was to hear from them uh, for the first time. And they, they followed the, the instructions that I put on the article on casting lots. They went on eBay and bought the exact um, edition of the Roger's Thesaurus that I have photographed on that article. And um, this individual um, casted what just wanted Jesus to tell them how, you know, when's the rapture? Now, don't get me wrong. This individual was, um, you know, kind of knew, I think, in her heart that, uh, you know, our Heavenly Father wasn't going to give her a specific date or anything. But the really cool thing was when she did cast the uh, Roger Thesaurus out on the uh, the table in front of her or whatnot, um, it came up with, I don't know, 389 or something. I forget. I have to go look. I actually took a screenshot of it, and I uh, cropped it and right around the word because the word was rescue. And I was like, right on. And, of course, in there it has rescue, salvation, deliverance, a bunch of synonyms. And I'm like, oh, no wonder she was so deeply touched by, by that experience as well as I would have been too. So what a blessing it was to hear that. Um, you know, does that help us out with the time-space distortion challenge that we have in this hologram, as uh, Albert Einstein put it? We live in a hologram, albeit a very convincing one, which I completely subscribe to when you understand quantum mechanics, quarks and particle physics and everything else like that. When you understand that, we do live in a hologram. We absolutely do. It's a fact. Um, if you, if we, like I've said many times, if you were able to shrink yourself down to the size of a quark, a subatomic particle, 
and I'm watching my time now because I got a blast into the news. I don't want to be late to bring on Stephen. Um, but if you could shrink yourself down to the size of a quark, and I'm just using a quark as an example. There are many different kinds of subatomic particles, both, you know, Higgs boson or whatever. Take your pick. There's bunches of them. If you could make yourself that small, you could literally travel through a piece of granite and you would never see it. You wouldn't even know the granite was there. Are you comprehending that? That is some seriously cool stuff. And it, beyond any shadow of a doubt, proves that we are living in a type of a hologram, which is why the Bible calls where we are temporal or temporary, and the rest of creation is eternal, which is outside of the hologram. And I could get into all kinds of other stuff, too, that's very, very interesting, but I'm not going to because I don't have time. Praise God. But I do want to... I do want to take a moment and light up the life of the kids. Kids, are you ready for a couple of jokes? All right, kids. Why is tennis such a loud sport? Why is tennis such a loud sport? Because the players raise a racket. (laughs) I was wondering about that, kids. What do you think? They raise a racket? What? What? You don't? What? What's the matter with that joke? They raise a racket. Okay, you don't. Oh, I see. Spaggy, put down the sign. Stop trying to influence the other kids. Yeah, he didn't like it because it's not really a loud sport. Anyway, praise God. Oh well. Well, you ruined it for us. That's okay. I I don't have to hit three out of three all the time. Kids, you ready for the next one? What lights up a soccer stadium? A soccer match. Soccer match. Kids, come on. Uh, Thank you, Spanky, for putting down the tablet. All right, kids. Why does it? I'm sorry. What does a turtle do on its birthday? Shell (laughs) abrates. Celebrate good times. Come on. Dun, 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 dun. Shell up. Come on, kids. It's pretty good. Okay, whatever. All right, praise God. Let's go ahead and move into the news. Hallelujah. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, wrong. It's not normal. This is disturbing. <laughs> Game over. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so the first one up is a segment. Now, it's kind of long, and I'm looking at the time. 5, 10, 15, 16. Oh, I think I can almost pull this off. I don't know how much of it I'm going to play, but it's a really outstanding segment uh, on Redacted, okay, with Colonel Douglas McGregor. Now, we've heard uh, a lot of this already, but... You know, a li- little more information comes out each time. All right, so let's go ahead and see, you know, how long before I get itchy fingers and I decide we better blast through some, because there's a lot of news. All right, so anyway, let's go ahead and take a listen to this. Praise Jesus. All right, here we go. Oh, oh, Dag Nabbit didn't come up with the Ray 1. Hold on, let me try again. 
There we go. States is ramping up additional assets, money, weapons to the Middle East. Israel says it will wipe Iran off the face of the earth if Hezbollah intervenes in Gaza. Uh, the Turks seem to be motivated to mediate. We heard from uh, Erdogan over the past few minutes saying would like to mediate a peace. This flies in the face of what Secretary of State Antony Blinken just said over the weekend, which is we're not interested in any kind of ceasefire which is unbelievable. Joining me now is Colonel Douglas McGregor, who just wrote a new piece saying that the Biden administration should lead the charge to support a ceasefire. Colonel, it appears they're really going in the opposite direction with Blinken's comments yesterday and now Erdogan coming out and saying, hey, we're, we're happy to mediate a peace here. No, I think that's true. And it looks as though the uh, <clears throat> same people controlling events in Jerusalem are controlling events in Washington, and they are unanimous in their desire for a major war. And I don't think people understand the implications. People are viewing this as Hamas, as an enemy that richly deserves to be destroyed. There's no argument about that. The problem is, uh, if you want to destroy Hamas, how do you you go about doing it? And collective punishment that involves 2.2 million people is not a very popular way to do business. And particularly at this point in time, because the whole region is seething with anger over the attacks on the civilians in Gaza. There's no dis- no debate in the rest of the region about who's responsible, it's Israel. So you have the Israelis and all of their neighbors talking past each other. We are in a position to somehow or another address that and, and move this out of the realm of inevitable regional war into something more manageable, but there doesn't seem to be any interest in doing so. The United States moving aircraft carriers, additional assets into the region. You make the point that this, you know, you're, you're right there involved in this. This is a very dangerous prospect for the United States. Oh, it is. People don't seem to understand that today's Middle East is radically different from the Middle East of 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. The last major war was the 73 war, where Egypt and Syria attacked Israel, and Israel ultimately prevailed, although it was from time to time touch and go. Today, the Arab states are far more, I would argue, cohesive. Uh, The governments are stronger. They have more technology at their disposal. And there's a greater willingness to weigh in collectively. And today, we're also talking about Turkey and Iran as playing a major role. And as a result, Russia. Russia cannot sit idly by if Iran ends up being attacked by us. It will feel obligated to intervene because the Iranians have supported the Russians against the uh, Ukrainian proxies. So this, this has the ingredients in it for a very major war. Now, we, we're escalating across the boards. We're, we seem to think that escalation works. We've tried that in Ukraine. We've escalated and escalated and escalated, and today Ukraine is in ruins. My great fear is that uh, if this regional war unfolds, as I think it might, there may be no Israel at the end of it. All right. Now, you heard that, and I'm going to read the scripture. So if, and this is a big if, and I've said this before, if, if this is the point of time that we are in right now, okay? And as you know, we've done radio shows where we have made checklists together of the Olivet Discourse events that Jesus warns us about, Luke 21, Matthew 20, 24, and uh, Mark 13. 
We've made checklists. We've read through the scripture. We said, okay, this has got to happen. That that has got to happen. That has got to happen. This has got to happen. We made a list. It's it's really kind of fascinating to take note of how many of those items we are able to check off. You know, pestilence, famine. We got, you know, now do we have famine yet in the United States of Babylon the Great? No. See, one of the things that I struggle with, and I'm not really sure, is the totality of each one of those items. And and it's hard because it's just very, very difficult to be sure. Because as Babylon the Great, we are, I don't know, we're just going to have to wait and see how things unfold. But we can check. I don't want to say we can check to completion every single thing. But we did have that prophecy just recently where uh, the uh, I believe it was a legitimate prophecy for sure. I think it was from God. I think that person was hearing beautifully. And they had said that we are now in the sorrows period, which I found very, very, very interesting because about six to eight months earlier, I had said that I believed we were kind of pulling into the parking lot of the sorrows period. So Jesus said, hey, uh, don't get alarmed. Don't, you know, this is the beginning of sorrows. Well, if what Jesus was describing in all of it discourse as the beginning of sorrows, then you would have to assume or estimate that there is a sorrows period. So when I saw that prophetically spoken, I was like, hey, hey, this looks like a confirmation. All right. So anyway, Let's assume just for a second, and yeah, you could play game, games with the word assume. Let, we could say the word estimate. Let's estimate for just a moment that we are that deep into the end times. Let's estimate that the behold a red horse is Russia, which I believe is true. Let We already know that the global financial collapse is in progress. Okay, food prices are through the roof. Don't get me going. I could, that's a whole radio show right there. There's your third seal. Okay, we already know that the banks are collapsing. We already know that they're getting ready to go cashless. The societies are going to go cashless. They're going to institute uh, central bank digital currencies. We already know that the FedNow digital ID has been approved and is under pilot right now in the United States of Babylon the Great, this country. Okay, we already know that it's being instituted to some degree in the United Kingdom and also Australia. They're guinea pigs, and also you can just look to Canada. Oh my goodness. All right, and it's going, you know, so while all these things are happening over in the Middle East, we can believe from the very bottom of our heart with great assurance that the global reset, the Klaus Schwab shape shifting reptilians, the, uh, we'll call them the board of directors of Satan himself with the Rhodes Roundtable and all the entities from uh, the Committee of 300 and the Bilderberg and all these blue blood, they're, they're reptilian. These are fallen seraphim that have the ability, through drinking blood with adrenal, adrenal chrome in it, they, can, they have the ability to manipulate the hologram that we're in. We can't, but they can. They can. All right. So, so anyway, when you look at all the data, not just some of it. When you look at some of it, it doesn't work. But when you look at all the data, you look at the movie, highly prophetic, from the 80s called They Live, where the guys put on these sunglasses, and they see all the reptilians around them. And then at the very last scene, 
they have the elites gathered there, and they go walking into the room, and they're all cheering on the fact that 2025, I think they use that, that date, is the, the movie was made in the 80s. For them to choose in the actual script of the movie for the elites to say 2025, are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Tom Horn just went to heaven. I wish I was with him right now. I'll tell you that. Straight up, if if uh, if Gabriel the Archangel showed up in my room right now, oh, with bright light showing and said, would you like to join Tom Horn and help set up the wedding supper table? I'd be like, excuse me, is this a trick question? I'd be so vamoose great off this planet. You'd, you'd be like, where'd he go? Hallelujah. But um, but anyway, Tom Horn's last late is uh, one of the, one of the books that he just recently wrote uh, before he went up to, to help out with the uh, setting up of the wedding supper uh, is uh, with Chuck Misler um, is um, to um, was called uh, Zeitgeist 2025. Do you think that was a coincidence? How many people do we have on our list that are saying that we're not going to have a 2024 election? Now, could we? Yes, we could. We could. There, but we got Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, uh, General Wesley Clark, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, and there's one other individual. I can't remember the, the fifth one. But anyway, and they're all saying no 2024 election. They don't think there's going to be one. As a matter of fact, Tucker Carlson came forward and he said, I believe, and it was in front of a large audience, he said, I believe that we are going to be in what he called a hot war with Russia before the election. Hey, what better of a way to stop an election from ever occurring at all than to be in a war? Especially if this country erupts, just like all the other countries are erupting, and there's parts of this country that are erupting now. But if this country completely goes bananas, as it has in the past, but I'm talking about in totality. I'm not talking about pockets like Chicago and Portland and Seattle and Black Lives Matter, this, that, and the other thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the whole country erupts into a massive civil war breaking out in the central part of the United States. Remember we had the two eclipses go over each other and make a big X? Uh, one of the prophets that my uh, sister listens to, I forget his name, he was given a vision of that X and said it was made of gunpowder in his vision, and he said that the very center of it caught on fire, which was it was the civil war breaking out, which was exactly what Dimitri Duneman saw in his book, Through the Fire Without Burning. A civil war breaking out in the United States. Now, I don't know if he actually called it a civil war. I forget what the exact quote is. But when you look at all of the data, when you look at all, you know, the, the 1973 book, The Vision by David Wilkerson, when you put all this stuff together, folks, the big giant X that formed, wow, you know, the X that formed from the two recent, um, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, solar eclipses, the center of the X was like right over Illinois which is where Dimitri Duneman saw, saw the war. You know, I, I'm just going to call it a civil war. It's a civil war. That's what it is. Everybody's talking about it. Okay, so we, we, we know that it's queued up. It's teed up, just like a golf, golf ball. All right? We know it's teed up. So when you look at all this stuff that's going on, and I've said, how many times did I say? I even invited people to send me emails at jbaptist777 at gmail.com. You know, if you had ideas of what else could cause a civil war to break out in the United States other than Trump being disappeared. Never mind that the Simpsons have him in a casket. 
I mean, I'm not wishing this on him. And, and yes, you know what? I have prayed for the salvation of his soul. I don't think in this, in, in this, this uh, excuse of somebody being a baby Christian doesn't fly real well with me. Um, you know, but a lot of people will use that term, and they'll just liberally toss it all over the place. But I've prayed for him because I, I, I it's my heart. I have, I have a much, much bigger heart uh, because I've been praying for years, Be- beseeching God to fill me with his love, to fill me with with Jesus' love. And he did. The father, our Father did fill me with his love. And I do love other people. doesn't mean that some of them don't kind of like irritate me a little bit. I got some neighbors out back here that are just, oh my gosh, they are the loudest, most beastie boy partying people. I, I mean, I've been here for 23 years, roughly 23 years, and I have never had neighbors that are as loud as the ones that are behind me right now. They're so loud that I'm actually thinking about selling my house and getting out of here, but I think about that every day anyway. All right, so anyway, back on track. All right, so I just wanted to share that all with you because look around you. See, if you look at what's going on in the world in its totality and you measure that against the Bible and against the prophecies, even though prophecies can in fact be progressive if our Father relents and changes up the timeline, etc., etc., etc. Okay, but with all of those change dynamics potentially in play, when we look at the entire body of information, Again, CBDCs, digital IDs, 15-minute cities, uh, Bill Gates poisoning everything, uh, black chemtrails with graphene oxide in them, pouring of graphene oxide in our water supply. Uh, one, one of the listeners of the program, who I love very dearly, uh, wrote me today and was like, oh, no, you know, uh, are, are you aware of the, um, you know, the smart water and, and this other product, you know, that, that the graphene oxide is? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not only that, they're doing it, they're doing it to our water. They're doing it to our air. You know, if it wasn't for Luke 10, verse 19, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. In Mark 16, 16, 17, and 18, then they will ingest anything deadly. It says drink in most translations, but the word is to ingest because it, it is reflective. That scripture is reflective of the snake, the, the viper biting the hand of Paul when he was on the island of Malta. It was a deadly viper. He should have died immediately. It was like a coral snake. And, and, and the natives were around, and they're like listening to uh, Paul talking about Jesus, and they see the, the, the viper bite his hand, and he just shakes it off of his hand. He's like, ah, get out of here. And all the natives are looking at him going, wow, he's some kind of a god. He should be laying there dead. That was a deadly viper. Ingest. Ingest anything deadly, and it will by no means hurt you. Okay? Amen. Praise God. All right, so it's important for us when we do look at all of this information, when we, you know, and if you have the benefit, such as I, the benefit, I, I consider it a huge benefit that my mother set me down at the age of 10 and told me that Obama was the Antichrist. What a benefit, followed up by I can't even, I can't even count on two hands how many people who have hunted me down, who have emailed me, telephoned me, gotten into, that's how I met Reverend Tracy Shellman. Reverend Tracy Shellman, I, I didn't know her from Adam. I had no idea who this lady was, okay? I had no idea. And then she somehow or another hunted me down because she was like, did you, you know, she wanted to know whether or not I believed that Obama was the Antichrist because the Lord told her that Obama was the Antichrist. I've had so many people hook up with me over the years because they were shown that Obama was the Antichrist. 
Long after. I mean, think about it. 1972, how long ago was that? I was 10 years old, so I got it. Let's see. I'll be 62 in March, uh, almost 61 and a half roughly now. Uh, that take me back to 51 and a half. That'd be 51 and a half years ago. My mom told me that. Right? So when you when, when for me, it's not even arguable. If you want to say the Antichrist is a giraffe, go ahead. If it's Donald Duck for you, fine. If you want, you know, whatever you want, to, you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever shape the earth is. You can do whatever you want to. But just remember, the whole world is looking at us right now because the only Christians that are behaving the way that we have been commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ to behave are those of us who show true True love for one another. True love. True love. Deep love. Empathy love. And folks, I don't know about you, but when I look around outside, when I look on Facebook and I see people fighting and calling each other names and ministries, you know, I, I, it's, it's sad. It's a sad thing. So we'll move on. All right. Next headline up. Israel steps up strikes on Hamas targets as 222 confirmed hostages are being held in Gaza. We are now nine minutes after the hour. Stephen Ben Noon will, will be joining us in about 25 minutes. Hallelujah. We're going to move quick. All right. Now listen to this. This is Tucker Carlson talking to Colonel Douglas McGregor again. And this is a very important little snippet. Let's listen to this. Very important. Hallelujah. Here we go. Let's see if it comes up. Yeah. I have no real army anymore. The army is down to perhaps, what, 450,000? How much you, uh, of that United States. is ready to fight? It's open to debate. Much of it is sitting in Eastern Europe right now. We, we don't have the means to rapidly ship a large force of 80 to 100,000 troops on the ground into the region, which means that we're reliant on special forces and right now 2,000 Marines and perhaps 2,000 special forces and special operations forces. That's not going to make much of a dent. And as we've seen quite recently within the last 24 hours or so, uh, some of our special ops forces and Israeli special ops forces went into Gaza to reconnoiter, to plan for where they might want to go to free hostages and, and make an impact. And they were shot to pieces and took heavy losses. As you hear I that? Understand. I think that's where we're headed. And I don't see that as a win for Israel in any way, shape or form. And I certainly think it's very dangerous for us. Finally, we have no real army anymore. All right. So there was an attempt uh, by a combination of United States Special Forces and uh, the IDF to team up and to go into Gaza. Uh, and it, they were, it, it, I forget what kind of a mission uh, the colonel said it was. He had a name for it. But basically, they were going to size the situation up and put together a plan to uh, go fetch the hostages. And they got their hiney cheeks kicked. Okay, and they ran for their lives. So um situation is not quite as black and white as a lot of people would like to say it is. Okay? All right, next headline up. Hallelujah. Hamas and the Israeli Defense Force ground forces clash for the first time inside of Gaza. Israeli soldier killed and others were wounded. Hamas has claimed to have repelled a brief Israeli ground incursion in what marks the first such reported direct ground fight between the two sides in Gaza. And it says the soldiers of the, you know, and I don't know who the author is of this, but <clears throat> they're calling Israel the Zionist forces, whatever. I, I don't 
don't get into all the name calling. But anyway, this particular quote, person who's being quoted, said, uh, uh, fell into the Khan Yunis ambush and left their vehicles and fled east of the fence on foot. So they left their military vehicles and said, we're out of here. Exit stage left. All right. So it's very important to take note of this because um, <clears throat> these are – It's you know what? It's confirming everything that Colonel Douglas McGregor is saying. Now, does that mean that's going to be the be-all, end-all, do-all, and, and things aren't going to change? Absolutely not. All right? Um, we don't know what's going to happen. We just got to keep on watching. What we do know is that when you look at all the data – when you look at all the data, all of the data, CBDCs, 2030, Global Reset, all that other stuff, all the thing, you know, pencil is pencil and famine. Bill Gates buying up all kinds of farm stuff. You know, uh, you know, it, it's all to kill us. It's to murder us. It's to slaughter us. The 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 planned um, uh, additional pandemics that you know, the Marlberg thing, the all this stuff that they're planning on doing to us. I mean, my goodness, you when you add all this stuff up, you know, it's really easy to get tunnel vision. It's really easy to stare over at the Middle East right now and completely forget about all the other things. But when you do that, you dislodge your timeline. You now you don't you're floating your timeline starts to float and you don't have an anchor for your timeline. When you look at all the data, you have an anchor. Does that mean God can't dork up that timeline and throw a bunch of, you know, throw a monkey wrench into the gearbox? Absolutely he can. All right, so we got to stay on the edge of our seats and be ready and take advantage of this time and pray like we've never prayed before. For the lost, pray for the lost. Put a lot of power into praying for the lost and your loved ones and your fellow brothers and sisters because we all need it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, next one up. Oh, this one here is uh, one more commentary real quick from Colonel Douglas McGregor regarding Turkey. Okay, hold on. Let me bring this up. Hold on. There. Iranians are not going to try to lob theater ballistic missiles at uh, Israel because the Israelis have said they would use a nuclear weapon. But Turkey is different. And the Turks have an unhappy record with the Israelis. Just a few years ago, they tried to deliver humanitarian aid to Gaza. The Israelis boarded their ship, killed some of their citizens, and turned back the aid. Uh, this kind of thing did not cultivate support and friendliness in Turkey. And remember, Mr. Erdogan is the de facto leading military power in the Sunni Muslim world. Finally, you have the Pakistanis who are very close to the Turks and have made it abundantly clear that the Turks will receive nuclear warheads and other capabilities from them if they need them in order to deter the Israelis from using a nuclear weapon. And finally, the Turks have the largest air forces and uh, armies in the region. The Turks can put two million men in the field in the space of a little over a month. And the Turks are ferocious fighters. Now, all of this spells doom for the Israelis if they launch this attack on Gaza. What I've just described is an unwinnable fight. Even the air power from the United States that we could commit is not going to be enough. And we all know we don't have the troops on the ground. We simply don't have very many soldiers or Marines at this point. All right. And you heard him on the earlier uh, uh, audio bite say you know, the United States – 400, 450,000, I think he said. That's pretty sad when you consider what's 450,000 compared to 2 million Turks, right? And that doesn't include Iran. That doesn't include Jordan. That doesn't include all the other, you know? And when you look at the Bible and you see what it says, look, look what it says right here. It says it right here. 
It says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and I, again, I, I emphasize, what is the definition of an army? Does it have to have tanks? Does it have to have, you know, ro rolling artillery equipment? Does it have to have Humvees? What does it got to have to be qualified as an army? What about pocket knives? What about clubs? What, you know, what, what makes an army an army? You know, let's take a look at the definition. Let's go look at the Greek word. Let's do, do you know, see what I'm saying? Then you know that desolation is near. Okay, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In other words, get out of Israel. Okay, it says, let those who are in the midst of her depart. Okay, let not those who are in the country, you know, enter her. <clears throat> For these are the days of vengeance. Remember when Jesus read the Isaiah scroll in Isaiah 61 verses 1, 2, 3 or whatever, he, he said all kinds of really cool stuff. I'm not, I don't have it memorized, but then he says, and then he puts the Isaiah scroll down, and then it talks about the days of vengeance coming. Well, is there, you know, it didn't, doesn't use those exact terms, but could it be a, a reference? Are these directly related? It says that all things which are written may be fulfilled. It just seems interesting in verse 22 in Luke 21, where it says, For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. And then at the end, the last couple of, uh, the last several clauses of that passage says, For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away to ca captive in all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That doesn't sound like a very happy ending. Now, th does, it, does that mean that that's the end of Israel? Absolutely, ridiculously not. Okay? It just means, well, if, if, if Chuck Misler was correct about the fullness of the Gentiles being brought in, being related to the moment in time where our father performs the rapture, the rescue mission, okay, which would, you know, and I would submit that this would be the barley harvest, the first fruits. Okay. And if that be true, okay, I don't know for sure if it is, but if that be true, folks, we could be getting really, really close. Okay. But we don't know for sure. We're going to have to hang in there. And the, and the one mistake people make, I know I made it myself a gazillion times. I don't know how many times is getting so excited that I was, I just felt so positive in my heart that this is it this is it we are leaving we are leaving it is it hallelujah oh my goodness and then oh just massive disappointment how long can this drag out how long has the ukrainian uh what do you want to call it special operation been going on like i mentioned before on the last show since last february so february of this year would have been one year so we got February to March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. So that'd be one year and eight months. Wow. For just a Ukraine deal. And you heard what D Douglas McGregor said about Russia feeling obligated to jump in. All right. So I wanted to also point out that we now have a Speaker of the House. Uh, his name is Mike Johnson. I don't know anything about him, but I will say this. He and several other lawmakers are kneeling on their knees, praying together on the floor of Congress. All righty. 
So I don't know this man, but obviously he must be a Christian or he would not be on his knees praying with these other congressmen. Okay, so if he's a Christian, I'll take it. Thank you, Jesus. All right, uh, next one up uh, is uh, Donald Trump. I'm not going to play the audio bite, but it is Donald Trump basically saying he thinks that Mike Johnson's a great guy. Okay, so anyway, for those of you that it actually matters, it, to me it's like six of one half dozen of another because uh, my citizenship is in heaven. I don't know about yours. But I hope it is. I think all of our citizenship is in heaven. That's what my Bible seems to say. Well, it does say it. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're supposed to keep our minds stayed on things above and not on things of this world. And the only reason we look at the things of this earth isn't to participate in them. We look at things that are happening on, in this earth because we are commanded to watch ye therefore for Jesus coming. Because if we had known when the thief was going to try to break into our house, we would be watching. Hallelujah. Watch and pray. That's our command. Praise God. All right, so that's part of the job. All right, thank you, Jesus. Now, um, Italy comes out in one of their prime, you know, this man's minister, Van Landbau, okay, and uh, he is coming out and making a public plea to the rest of the world and saying, this man's from the uh, Italy government, and he's saying it to everybody that they are going to ban, uh, Italy is banning all, 100% of all fake foods. So no fake meat, no fake nothing, no nothing is getting inside of Italy. They are making, they're going to hold it at the border. So um, anyway, I find that to be pretty fabulous uh, information. Praise God. At least somebody's standing up and doing the right thing. All right. And Dag Nabbit sure ain't this country. <laughs> anyway. All right. So and then you know, anyway, I'm not going to get into it. Um, anyway, so if you want to hear what it sounds like when Hamas is going nuts shooting rockets, and by the way, they have been uh, <clears throat> shooting rockets like crazy. So I'm not I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying. All right, they're shooting a lot of. Listen, you can listen for yourself. Okay, hold on a second. That's what it sounds like to be standing nearby Hamas rocket launchers. Doesn't look to me like they're slowing down. All right. Um, then, of course, you had that event with uh, the entity that refers to itself as Biden that has body doubles and rubber masks. And I have a close-up shot of his eyes, reptilian eyes. So I don't know what this thing is. It's definitely reptilian and definitely has a rubber mask on. But anyway, it it was making some kind of an announcement and said that I have to go to the Situation Room. There is an issue I got to deal with. Well, what that was about is there were three United States military bases in Syria technically illegal, um, that were under attack uh, by uh, essentially jihadis. Um, there's an, a group called the Islamic Resistance from Iraq, and they have been using drones and other things to attack American bases, and uh, that's kind of escalating things from an American involvement standpoint. Major escalations expected. Next headline up. <laughs> United States intelligence officials have reportedly told CNN that they are preparing a ma for major escalation in attacks <clears throat> from pro-Iranian militias in the Middle East against the United States troops and bases. 
Another news headline says the United States is preparing for significant escalations against troops in the Middle East. Another, uh, it just goes on and on and on. Um, there is uh, a, there was a uh, Pentagon uh, briefing uh, for the lying news media. And uh, calling in with Skype. Hold on, I'm double checking. Uh, my uh, Stephen might be calling in right now. Calling in. It may be a 407. Another. No, it says just came in. All right, Stephen, I'm going to be right over to you in just a couple of seconds. I'm just wrapping up a couple couple more pieces of news. But anyway, this Pentagon statement was between October 17th and the 24th, the United States coalition forces have been attacked at least 10 separate times in Iraq and three times in Syria via a mix of one-way drones and rockets. Now, I'm just letting you know that they are building up forces. Now, Operation Desert Storm, I don't know if you can remember this or not, it took them two years to build up the forces in Kuwait in order to execute Operation Desert Storm. All right. Now, just as an FYI, the amount of equipment that they have moved into that area is amazing. All right. So uh, basically, you've got the um, uh, the Ike Carrier Task Force with uh, one, two, three destroyers, uh, the Baton Arg and 26 MEU units, which uh, carry personnel. You've got the Ford, uh, the Gerald Ford Carrier Strike Group that has uh, three um, uh, destroyers and one cruiser. One looks like a pretty small cruiser, actually. It's, um, uh, and then you've got other ships of responsibility that are unassigned. And I could go through all of them, but it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten additional ships, and even some Coast Guard cutters. Evidently, they're saying that there's six of them over there, which I find very surprising. I would have to go and do some investig- investigation on that because the Coast Guard has no business being in the Mediterranean at all. So that may be some incorrect information. Another headline. Memo sounds alarm on Hamas and Hezbollah fighters potentially using the southern border to enter the United States. So, again, there are reports, and they are significant, they are very significant, that Hezbollah and Hamas fighters are moving in large numbers into the southern border of the United States right now. Don't even get me going on the Chinese and all that other stuff too, folks. It is absolutely out of control. All right. uh, Let me see. I'm going to scroll past some of these things. There's several of these articles. You know, Hamas launches the most intense rocket attack against Israel since the start of the Al-Aqsa storm. Uh, Infowars, World War III alert. Uh, U.S. conducts nuclear test in Nevada hours after Russia revokes the global nuclear test ban. So things are getting interesting. And I told you before on the last program that they have been photographing, filming uh, Putin going when he, when he, last time he went over to visit with Xi Jinping. Okay, he had his uh, nuclear briefcases right behind him. He's taking them wherever he goes now. This is getting really serious. Another headline reads, Blinken in Austin, we are ready for war in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. You hearing what I'm saying? Another one from the American Military News. It says more United States troops are prepping, preparing for Middle East deployment. Well, Net Daily, United States Ready's plan to evacuate thousands of Americans from Israel and Lebanon. You hearing this? Wins war. Hezbollah chief meets with Hamas, Islamic Jihad leaders in Lebanon, talking, talking about ways for a real Gaza victory. So now they're teaming up. 
They're saying, how are we going to do this? Because they see the inevitability. They're getting ready. They see it as being inevitable. Anyway, on that note, praise God, we have Brother Stephen Ben Noon on the phone already. Thank you, Jesus. And let's go ahead and bring him on uh, live. And hold on, let me double check. Okay, looking, looking, and just came in. Okay, I'm not sure. Oh, okay, I, I see what he, he was saying. It could be a 407. Okay, I got a 313, a 508, a 216, a 215, and a 901, Brother Stephen. Which one is it? Um, no, I can I can call you, but I'm hoping I'll see a text message. It says, I'm calling with Skype, and it could be a 407. Um, and I'm looking on the call doc right now. And I do not have a 407. Wait a second. He says he's not sure, which means I'm going to have to go through every one of them. All right. Hold on just a second. Stephen, is that you? Okay, that would not, would not be you. All right, let me try this one. Number? Stephen, Stephen, is that you? Uh, hang on. Nope. Uh, okay. Are you, could you be a 901? Stephen, are you alive? Am I there Hello? now? How's you're that? there, man. You're you're live. You are Am I alive. A 901? You're a nine oh one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, but no I'm glad you're here. Praise God. So you know, I don't want to sit here and babble. The folks want to hear your intel. Um and I gave everybody your YouTube channel information so they can go and find you and listen to tons and tons and tons of more data and information and intel because you got a lot of guests and experts that you're interviewing. But um I really want to kind of just bow out gracefully and let you take the mic and share with people what your take is, what your insider information is on what's going on over there, because as I as I told everybody in the beginning of the show, you know, you're kind of like the, you know, the George Norrie of the, of the Middle East, you know what I mean? You've got contacts and insiders and people that you talk to that nobody else talks to, and your, your understanding of things is exceedingly advanced in comparison to others that are commenting on it. So I just want to go ahead and hand you the mic and let you go ahead and run with the ball. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. I was so blessed to have you. Thank you, my brother. Johnny, God bless you, brother, your family, all those there with you. Um, I know that a lot of what I'll probably say tonight is doesn't make people happy to hear. But um, listen, we have to we just have to really deal with the with the situation that's at hand. I mean, um, I, I think what I'm going to do, John, if it's all right, I'm going to go back to when this all began on October the 7th, uh, and then bring it right up to the current situation, where we're headed. Uh, I can tell you, and, and, and let me, I'll tell you what, before I even do that, let me just say this. I know that Israel was planning on doing the, um, they were planning on doing their uh, incursion into Gaza, and then they halted it. Uh, I think Hal Lindsey had, put, not Hal Lindsey, but, um, um, Oh goodness, I forget the name I wanted to say there. But anyway, uh, one of one of the, one of the very well-known um, people on the internet there had talked about there. Well, they're going in, and I and I got a message from a friend of mine saying that oh, we just got the message they're going in. I said no, they're not. They said yes, we are. I said no, we're not. 
I said, well, what do you mean, no, they're not? I said, Israel's not going in. I said, Israel's waiting for the U.S. to get there, uh, which was kind of funny because then they come out with an article today. Um, uh, let's see, I'm trying to see who actually who published this uh, real quick. Uh, but we got, we got a, let's see here, a uh, word today that Israel is not going in yet, uh, that they're actually waiting. Yeah, this is on... Uh, this is actually a thread on, uh, over on on uh, on Twitter. Uh, T Defender or uh, sent uh, O sent Defender is actually the whole thing. That both U.S. and Israeli officials have now confirmed that Prime Minister Netanyahu has agreed to delay the invasion of the Gaza Strip until the U.S. military is able to move more assets into the region, including at least 12 air defense systems for interception of cruise and ballistic missiles, as well as rockets and drones, which are set to be spread across multiple countries. Middle East, including Bahrain, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and UAE. Well, I could have told them that a couple of days ago, but that's okay. Nonetheless, now that everybody knows it, I actually had a military officer just stop by my house not too long ago, a couple of days ago. That's how I kind of knew all that information anyway. Uh, he was getting ready to deploy, uh, and he was telling me then that that uh, Israel is going to hold up on uh, going into Gaza until the U.S., gets more as quote-unquote troops on the ground. Not just all this, uh, you, know, uh, you know, rockets and drones and air defense systems, et cetera, but troops on the ground. And that's because Israel is not ready to handle uh, two fronts to begin with. I know that people want to say that Israel has the greatest army in the world, but in reality... Special Forces of Israel, yes, they're, they're very elite. A second to that are the Navy SEALs, I would have to say. But when it comes to regular Israeli military, you've got to remember, Israel uses uh, military that is, that is uh, conscripted, so to speak. And uh, so it is a mandatory service. Most people only do the two years uh, that they have to do, and they get back out. Then they become reservists, and they can be called back up at any time all the way up to the age of 40. And, uh, and speaking of being called back up, there's been a lot of backlash over Netanyahu's son being over in Florida and not coming in to do his duty uh, as, uh, as the military, you know, because he's 32 years old. You know, I, I'm not that crazy about Netanyahu, but I will say this. I would, if I had to be on a battlefield, I would not want to be on there with his son by no means. I mean, what's wrong with these guys? They're jealous because he's o- over in Florida. You be glad he's in Florida because if Hamas knows that he's on the ground and he's in your unit, they're going to do everything they can to capture the guy. So no, it's not it's not smart to have him on the battlefield or any leader's child on the battlefield because you just become a target. That's not very smart. Um, but I do want to take and let's back up just a little bit here, and I want to discuss how this all came about in the first place. And this is what becomes very challenging for most people to have to deal with. And that is on October the 7th, when Hamas came in and practically without any resistance whatsoever, managed to kill more than a thousand Israeli civilians and military personnel, mostly civilians, and, and, and kidnap uh, nearly 200 people and go back to Gaza. And, you know, I've lived in Israel twice in my life, um, 2004, uh, was there between 2004 and 2006, 
not full-time during those two years. Uh, it was mainly 2004 is when I lived there. Uh, what we called the Intifada, the second Intifada, where they were blowing up places and killing Jewish people, the Palestinians were. And I also lived there later in life um, after I got married. That would have been probably around 2015. I forget what year it was now, 2015, 2016, something like that. Live with uh, in Jerusalem with my wife, also up near uh, the Kinneret, up near uh, Capernaum, just north of Capernaum. Uh, I've lived on a kibbutz. I've lived in Tel Aviv. I've lived in Jerusalem. Uh, when I lived on a kibbutz, I was very close to Gaza. So I'm very familiar with everything in Israel. And one thing that I've always known, uh, especially during the Intifada when I was in a suicide bombing in 2004 on September the 9th, um, the girl that blew herself up, and actually I was going down the sidewalk with her, uh, and it was just the hand of God that moved me out of the way and, and told me to go a different direction. It didn't say why, it just told me to go a different direction, and I did, and it put me in behind a wall when she blew herself up. And uh, and so as a result of that, though, I mean, I was knocked off my feet, but by the time I got back to my feet, John, I got back to my feet, I ended up coming back around the wall. I actually went down a hill, a little bit of a hill there, which kind of gave me a little bit more of a buffer zone because the wall wasn't quite high enough. And by the time I got back over there, which took me all of a minute and a half, we had, I would say, at least uh, 40 military police and already paramedics showing up on the scene that rapidly. Uh, Israel has the fastest response to any kind of attack on its civilians of any military in the world. And so on October the 7th, when I was hearing about this attack and seeing uh, already, I was getting friends out of Israel telling me, Steve, something is wrong. It took more, more than six hours for a military response, six hours. And I know they've come up with every excuse as to why. There, 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 I can tell you there is no excuse, especially, um, you know, I'm connected with people in Mossad. Uh, I've got people from the Israeli military that sent me messages about what went on. But And I'm going to read to you one. This is right out of intelligence out of Israel. And this was, I just got this message here uh, in the last 12 hours. And it was said here, um, and, and, and I won't go too much into detail, the first part of the message there, but uh, uh, this guy's here, his daughter works directly with the generals in Israel and the intelligence there. I uh, said, uh, Israel, let's see. Uh, the U.S. Let's see. The U.S. is trying to buy its way into Gaza war, is what he says. And he said Israel told the USA to pound sand and stay out of out of our business. Turns out Hamas is controlled by the USA. Also Israel, to some degree. This was an inside job. False flag. Certain ones are saying in very hushed and coded words. X Y Z says everyone knows. That and, and the thing is, John. I, I mean, all right. Here's what what people have to understand. 
Israeli soldiers are, when, when this happened, when Hamas did what they did, a lot of Israelis knew something is wrong. And I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. It didn't matter who you were. If you took, like, for example, Rabbi Mitzrahi. Rabbi Mitzrahi is an Israeli-born rabbi. He lives in New York. Um, very orthodox rabbi. Loves Israel. No question about it. The man is dedicated to, to the Jewish people. He stated himself. He said, there's no way. He said, if a mouse touched a fence, 20 soldiers, 20 jeeps, or not soldiers, but jeeps, 20 jeeps of soldiers would be there in two minutes. 20. He said, no way. He said, so I talked to some people that I knew that were intelligence formally, and he did say formally, and I asked them, he says, how could this happen? How, how do you tell me that over a thousand Israelis are killed by Hamas and more than six hours for the Israeli military to respond? And, uh, and they told him this had to be inside. No way it could have happened. Avi Lipkin. I know Avi uh, Lipkin. Avi's been to my uh, apartment in Tel Aviv, when, excuse me, in Jerusalem, when I used to live in Jerusalem. Uh, he would visit us from time to time. He comes on, and he even says it. He says, Egypt warned the Israeli government that Hamas was fixing to attack. And he said, a week in advance. Now, of course, Avi believes that they just didn't pass the information up to Netanyahu. So you have different takes on what happened. But the thing is, no matter what Israeli you talk to, you know something was not right. It's just evident something's not right. And then I got uh, a guy sends me, he's he's, a former IDF. He was actually part of the Gaza division where they killed so many people and he sent me a written statement about it he said it didn't happen at 6 30 in the morning as they reported he said it actually began at 4 a.m and he said uh, he said the only one that knew and didn't allow anyone to make it in was the navy he said the navy wiped out every every hamas militant that came ashore he said but he said, I live close enough to see and hear the comings and goings from there. And for, the, for most of my military service, I was attached to that division. He said, there was un, unusually a heavy weirdness around 2 a.m. And approximately 3 a.m., there were one or two fighter planes lighting up the afterburners. That's where you get the sonic boom sounds, that is. He said, there was one helicopter moving way, one way which didn't return, and then the sound of a Merkava main cannon, which is a Merkava's Israeli tanks, uh, firing, and then silence. He said, missile barrages started rising from Gaza, not a single airplane or a helicopter of any kind until at least six to eight hours later. He said, probably no less than about 5,000 missiles outgoing from Gaza by 0800. And he said that actually matched four media reports. He said Al Jazeera Arabic was showing live-streamed operations of the zombie horde, that's what he called the Hamas, zombie horde, uniformed terrorists overrunning the Gaza division unopposed. One drone with a bomb blew up a Markava and a crew was dragged out and mutilated. And none of the soldiers seemed to be armed. The enemy took four completely un damaged Markava's unopposed, he says, 
They took some mutilated Jewish survivors of the massacre of Gaza Division right back across the border through the regular totally unmanned checkpoints, some of the vehicles and some being dragged on foot from some of the footage. It was obvious there were European-looking men, blonde and pale skin, military haircuts, first-rate equipment, military bearing wearing beige COVID mask helping move prisoners across the unmanned checkpoints. That's suspicious in itself. He said the main enemy force took, in their own words, more than an hour to get to their target towns. They were followed by uh, uh, Eastern Group and paramilitary hordes for looting and kidnapping survivors of the first wave. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, certainly this was a stand-down order. He said they, they do indeed have a very expensive obstacle to prevent this. Sophisticated, and now he's talking about the what Israel has to be able to keep from this happening. He said, we have a sophisticated tracking surveillance with remote operated machine guns, uh, emplacements, and even if, there were, even if they were overrun with a surprise, which is impossible, the Israeli Air Force has Apache helicopters for this case, and there were none airborne until at least six hours later when hostages were being taken back to Gaza and the terrorists were coming and going as they pleased in great numbers. The Navy managed to destroy every single enemy they attempted to amass, uh, amass the distribu- distributed coastal landing without a single loss. He says, finally, some time ago, the, sc- the security for these southern towns, now this is what I found very interesting, John, right here. He's going to talk about the security of the southern towns, and we're talking about like Sederot, which is up there near the northern border of Gaza, and I think there's like nearly like a dozen towns that they overrun. But I want you to hear what he said happened to these towns just months before this attack. He said, some time ago, the security of these southern towns was handed, uh, handled by the Gaza Division, which uh, when he says Gaza Division, it's the outpost, military outpost. And if you ever lived in Israel, we have outposts all over the country, uh, like little small military bases. And when he's talking about they handle the, 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 the security for these towns, see, all these little towns that you have like that are normally gated-type communities. You're not going in there without there being armed military people in a, in a checkhouse uh, and an iron gate that just isn't going to open on its own. All right? So just to give you an idea of what it's like, and that's everywhere in Israel. Everywhere you go, every checkpoint you have, especially when you are next to whether it be Gaza or the West Bank or, or if you're living in the West Bank, all these places are heavily guarded. Anyway, so he says they had post soldiers at each town, check people coming in and in and patrol. So it's not just checkpoint, it's also patrolling these, these little towns. Then there was a government decision to remove the soldiers and replace them with local civilian civil defense people. I can tell you right now, I've in, in all the years, you know, from 2004 to about 2016 when I was in Israel, you know, different times, of course, naturally, not all at one time, I never, ever seen civil defense put in place of the military on this type of scenarios. All right, that's just my my point in there. I'll continue to read what he says here, though. He says, um, he said, then there was a government decision to remove the soldiers, replace them with the civil, civil defense people, but the military defunded the programs and also took away the town's weapon armories that were supposed to be distributed 
to those local civilian defense persons so that civil defense asks for personally armed volunteers, and we know how easy it is for Jewish Israeli to get a firearm here. Now, when he's talking about, the, you know, they deliver these, they have these armories set up, and this is just that's not my input on this, you know, for the civil defense persons, he's talking about these are Israelis that are former Israeli military trained people. So they have, they have the armories there to where if something like this were to happen, those people who have been in the military, they've got access to all types of military weapons that they can start to defend themselves. But now, not only do they change it from military to the civil uh, defense, and then they defund that, but now they come in there and move all, remove all the weapons. Note, he says, how all the reports in Hebrew keep talking about intelligence failure, and it's the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur War. Not one word about where the IAF, Israeli Air Force, that is, helicopters and planes and all those hours, but they talk plenty about how there was no military or police to be found in the towns being slaughtered by the terrorists. He said, look at, look at and pay close attention to what time this guy posted his heroic crushing of the murderous venom. Now, he's actually he posted an article on Ynet News that he's talking about here. Um, as one example of many, he said, I got up in the morning to smoke a cigarette. It was 6.15 a.m. Dawn had barely broken. Suddenly I saw a trail of light in the sky, and that's how absurd the scenario began. Little by little, the horrible picture became clearer. Nava Anker, who is a member of Kibbutzim Nirim, told Ynet, she said her son also lives in Nirim with his three daughters. Only later did, did we realize that we were surrounded by terrorists. We heard small arms fire. The IDF forces arrived after seven hours or so. All right. Now, that's, that was the closing of his statement to me, John. And the problem is, you're, you're, you know, everything that he says is so true. It's things that I even know. I mean, it is, you know, Israel has always got helicopters patrolling, uh, especially when you're dealing with Gaza or the West Bank. Any place where there is a high potential, uh, I know when I lived up in the northern part of Israel, uh, we would, we, you always saw military aircraft flying over. It, there was no such thing as six hours and no planes in the sky or no helicopters in the sky. It just didn't exist because up in the north part there, we're close to Lebanon. I was close to Lebanon. You know, I mean, I'm literally, you know, within 20 minutes, I'm on the Lebanese border. Uh, or the Syrian border, for that matter. In fact, uh, you know, there was so much fighting going on in Syria at that time. Uh, so, but, you know, Israel always, always patrolling these areas. And then we get another report from Ifrat, and she's an Israeli, former IDF, and she actually reveals that just weeks before the attack, there was an order that removed anywhere from 60 to 80% of the military forces that, that normally guard the Gaza uh, fence area there, and they all moved to the West Bank, citing that there could be unrest in the West Bank. So they moved all the military over to the West Bank and leave Gaza you know, just wide open. Um, there, if you look at some of the video footage that was out there where it shows Hamas coming up to the fence, they come up to the fence and they're using some of the most sophisticated explosives that you just don't see unless it's like Navy SEAL type stuff. Putting it on the fence, having the time to set that fence, and then blowing up the fence so the gates would open up. And I forget what it was. I know it's more than a half a dozen entrances that they actually make. So again, as the guy writes in here, this former IDF guy, 
you, you don't touch the fence. I mean, there's one girl that was former IDF, and she was actually a, a squad leader. And there's also a, a, another guy that I've posted as well showing in there where he, too, was a squad commander and a platoon leader as well, that both of these worked that Gaza Strip fence. And as they would express, they said, you know, the one girl that she said, I, you know, she'll be sweeping, but her, she, she's still the commander over that unit. She said, if, if a stork flew over the fence, I'm getting called in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh, a stork flew over the fence. You know, if, she said, if a cockroach went under the fence, we knew it. She said, there's no way. You're not going to come up on that fence and us not know it. And so... So this is where the first failure began that, that, you know, and of course, now once Hamas has done what they've done, you know, Israelis are trying to rally together they're, they're you know, which is the great thing about Israel. They're going to rally together no matter what, because after all, regardless of why this happened or how it happened, innocent Israelis lost their lives. I mean, let's just face it. That's exactly what has happened. Uh, and like I said, once the numbers finally begin to come out, over a thousand Israelis are dead now, slaughtered in their homes. Even the one thing that doesn't make sense, you had Israeli military in that one particular outpost laying in their beds, all of them dead. How in the world did they manage to get into the Israeli barracks and kill everybody in the bed? And... You know, I mean, so none of this really began to make sense. Now, of course, my big issue is, too, John, that I look at when I'm seeing this, is I, I'm questioning, you know, people are saying, well, they're going to take out the leader of Hamas, and, and once we get the leader of Hamas out and everything, you know, this is a great thing. The one that got Hamas trained to do this. Now, I'm going to take you further back, though, now. Ten months before this attack, I was speaking to a good friend of mine in Washington, D.C., who has worked with the Joint Chiefs of Staff for a long time, and uh, he was actually he was actually going to have to go in for open heart surgery right before uh, right before this we were talking before he went to go in for his open heart surgery, and 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 he was telling me then I was asking him about Ukraine, uh, we were dealing with the issue with Russia and of course we were talking about actually our conversation I think if I remember right. It went back into December of 2022, and or and it could have been January, but I know that I published one. I found one video where I published this very event ten months prior, and he said to me, "We were." I asked him about Ukraine and, and the issue with uh, us sending the Abrams over and the Russian uh, Panzer tanks, things like that, and knowing that we were going to be, you know, arming these things with these. Uh, 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 these 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 shells that basically are highly radioactive, and he says, you know, Steve. He said the problem is, is when we go to use those, Russia is going to end up retaliating. He says all of our, he said we have a computer system that we run war games to see what is the potential of things happening. He says, and everything that we're seeing right now is that Russia is going to strike either Germany or Great Britain in retaliation. And he said, most likely by the end of the year, November, December, and talking about this year, November, December, that that would happen. Now, later he did update me, and he said, he said it looks like more now that we're looking going into next year, uh, uh, maybe about four or five months in the spring of next year before that happens. But at that time, I said, well, gosh, I said, that's going to really ignite World War III. He said, well, you're going to see three fronts. He said, we're going to get involved in three fronts. He said, we're going to be dealing with Taiwan. 
Uh, he said, well, we're really going to let Taiwan go. He said, we're going to act like we're defending Taiwan. He said, but Biden has already uh, advised, he met with the uh, CEOs of the companies and things like that and told them, look, you got two years to get your stuff out of Taiwan because we're losing Taiwan. And, uh, and that got confirmed with me through some private industries uh, here in the United States that knew about the CEOs moving their companies here to the United States. So I knew that was very accurate, not that that question was accurate to begin with, but I like to always double-check my own sources that I have. And so he, he tells me that. He says, and then he said, you're going to have the front. He said, because he said Russia is going uh, to draw NATO into this conflict. And he says, and really, he says, not so much Russia. He says, we're trying to draw Russia into combat because he said, we want to take Russia down. NATO is determined to destroy Russia and break it up into five different provinces. And uh, he said, but then there's going to be another front. Uh, he said, it'll end up being, it'll bring about a, a war with Iran. But he said, the only thing I can tell you, he says, he said, when you're looking at Russia, Ukraine, he said, or Taiwan, he said, that's not what's going to start World War III. I said, it's not. He said, no. He said, there's a much worse event going to happen in the Middle East. And um, he said, that's what's going to start World War III. I said, well, what's the event? He said, I can't discuss with you what the event is. He said, but I will tell you, you watch. You're going to see something very bad happen. And when you do, you will see what I'm telling you. That event is going to ignite World War III. He said, it will ignite the entire Arabic world. They will turn against Israel. He says, and then we will be forced to go in there to fight for Israel and to take down Iran. And I'm like, are you serious? I said, well, you can't tell me what it is. I can't tell you what it is. Well, John, I actually just recently, uh, the guy's gone through a really rough time after his heart surgery, ended up having a stroke, everything else, not where he's debilitated, but he just hasn't been able to return like he used to be before all of this. Um, but I did ask him. I said, what you told me nearly a year ago, I said, is this the situation we saw with Hamas? He said, yes, that was it. I said, well, you know what's interesting? The Israelis caught one of the Hamas soldiers, and they released this information to the public that when they captured him, he said, quote, unquote, we planned this for more than a year. Well, that shows that the intel I had was accurate because that was about 11 months before it happened, and I'm being told about it. And he said, more than a year. Well, then you take that. I spoke to another person in the intel world that I know that's very closely connected to Iran. And I, and, and this is one of my sources, uh, John, when I used to talk about um, uh, General Soleimani, his movements, the Houthi rebels, uh, the weapons that were being used by Iran, et cetera. I mean, I had intel so accurate from this guy that, I mean, I, I knew what Soleimani was doing before American intelligence knew it. I mean, that's how accurate it was. And the, Israel, and the American government knew that. So they, every once in a while they would reach out to me to try to find out things because they knew that I was really getting very accurate intel. And I would be putting things on, the, on our news channel, and it would take two weeks more before mainstream media ever caught up with it. So, in fact, even with Soleimani, when he was uh, when he went to Saudi Arabia, I knew about it. I knew the moment he got on the plane, I, and and the next thing you know, even when he was killed, I actually from my actual the source that I just read to you a few minutes ago from that works with inside Mossad, 
that said that they that he even said it was an inside job. I've still got in my computer the photos of Soleimani's car blown up, Israeli uh, special op forces there at the car, the photo of his body, everything. I mean, I had everything when it happened, courtesy of him. So as, as we get into this, the reason why I'm bringing this up, though, is that as, as we saw, though, he said this was going to create that. Well, the, the source that I have there that was that, that's more connected to the Iranian intelligence, he said to me, he said, Steve, he said, because I, I contacted him on this whole issue, too. He said, there is no way, no way that Israel did not know about Hamas attack. And I asked him, I said, why would you say that? He said, Stephen, he said, Israel has more spies embedded into Hamas. He said, they're, he said they're the masters at this. He said, they know how to embed, uh, you know, spies within these groups. He said, There's, it's not possible for them not to know it. And, and, and granted, when I say this guy, you know, is, got, the Israel, got the Iranian intelligence, this man is, a pro, is pro-Israel. He's not Israeli. He is Iranian. But, in fact, he told me, and I reported it before, he said that if the United States and Israel ever attacked Iran, he said the Iranians would be in the street cheering them on. He said the reason being is because Iranians are tired, sick and tired of being under the Khomeini's thumb. He said because this was a democratic country before the U.S. went in there and overthrew the country and put this radical Islamic group in there. So he said they're longing for their freedom again. He said it's been since 1979. These people have not had their freedom, and they want to be free like they were before. So he said they want Israel to attack. They want the United States to attack. So this is the same guy that's all for Israel if they were to attack Iran. But at the same time, he knows good and well that Hamas could not have done what they did without inside help from Israel. Now, then you also take. Ron Paul, former uh, Congressman Ron Paul. In fact, Daniel McAdams, who is the uh, who's the uh, uh, president of the Ron Paul Institute, was just on with us the other day, uh, and you know Daniel confirmed it as well. Which you know Ron, Daniel is he's, he tries to be neutral, but he's not blind. You know, and Ron Paul stood before Congress, and I think it was in 2004, and he declared about Hamas. He says, why are we getting involved with Hamas, with Israel over this thing with Hamas? He said, we know good and well Israel created Hamas, and he said, and we helped them to create Hamas. Now go back to that intel I shared earlier from the guy with Mossad, and he says the U.S. was also behind the creation of Hamas as well as Israelis. Now he put more of the blame on America than the Israelis, and that may very well be true because we know that Obama had a lot to do with the Muslim Brotherhood and overthrowing Egypt. So, so at any rate there, he's, you know, Ron Paul is saying, he said, you know, and the bad thing is, he said, now they just won the elections and they got into power. He said, and eventually you're going to have to go in there and kill them. He said, but yet we're the ones that set them up because why? He said, Israel said, if we have Hamas, it'll help keep the PLO from creating a, a, a Palestinian state. So as we're looking at all this, the reason why I'm bringing these things up, John, is this here. If you go back, there is a book called Holocaust Victims Accused. It's written by Rabbi Schoenfeld. Many other rabbis contributed to it. Uh, I mean, I, and for the listeners that are listening, John, I, I come from a Jewish background. 
All right. Uh, now we didn't live like Jews or nothing like that. We were what they called the renegade Jews. We no, none of my family was religious, but I thank God for for Christian ministers because that's how I came to Christ was through someone willing to spread the gospel to Jewish people. And uh, and so nonetheless, I was like the you know. Uh, I can't necessarily take the credit of being the first Christian in my family, but practically like one of the first Christians in my family was myself. And, um, you know, and, and, and I just was kind of like on my own. But, but nonetheless, the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this, though, is that as we, as we see this, and in the book, this book, uh, Holocaust Victims Accused, I, we had extended family that died in the Holocaust, in Auschwitz, Duke, uh, uh, Birkenau, Dukau. Those three concentration camps is where I lost my mother's family in, uh, extended family, because most of my grandfather and them came over uh, to the United States illegally, and they, that spared them from that. But as a result, though, in this book, they clearly, uh, there's one statement in there, and I'm going to read this to the listeners here. Um, there's many, many, many statements in the book, but there's one particular one that really always bothered me. Uh, and this is where um, we, we find out that that the Jewish Congress and also the uh, the Jewish Federation over in Switzerland uh, had was were willing to allow they were willing to allow uh, the death of of the Jewish people in order to create a, a Jewish state. And, th- and this right here, this is. Uh, let me see if I can. Uh, this is going to be on page 28 in the book. It says uh, here, Mr. Schwab expressed the complete Zionist ideology and stated clearly and openly the politics of the Zionist leaders in the area of rescue. Because they were what it was, and I'll kind of give you a little backdrop real quick before I read this part here. Uh, Hungary was about ready to release the Jews over to Auschwitz, and there was like 800 and something thousand Jews going to their death. One, I think it was Rabbi, um, oh gosh, I, I forget, uh, I forget which rabbi it was now, right? I, don't, I can't remember now, but anyway, he had actually worked out a deal with the Germans to rescue those Jews for like $15 a person. And instead, the world, uh, Zion, the world uh, Jewish leaders over in Switzerland refused to, to pay the ransom. And, and to show that the Germans really meant good faith by it, they even stopped. They halted for two weeks the deportation trains. They were no longer running them from Hungary to Auschwitz. Uh, so they really they seemed to mean well. If you, In other words, if you pay the money, we're going to let you go. Now, later, the Jewish Congress paid the exact same price. In other words, if they paid $15 a head for 800-something thousand Jews, they ended up paying $1,000 a head, and they ended up saving only 1,500 of those Jews, and they're the ones that went to the new state of Israel that was going to be formed later. They went to uh, the Middle East there to help form the state, and included in that group there happened to be uh, uh, the, the first prime minister of Israel, uh, Ben-Gurion. And, uh, and so he was one of the ones in there. So they paid that full amount anyway, but instead of getting all 800,000 uh, Jews, they only got 1,500. Now, here's what it says here, though. Uh, Schwab expressed the complete Zionist ideology and stated clearly and openly the politics of the Zionist leaders in the area of rescue. He states, the shedding of Jewish blood in the diaspora is necessary in order for us to demand the establishment of a Jewish state 
before a peace commission. Money will be sent to save a group of Hussein, which means pioneers, while the remainder of Czech Jewry, now he, this, he's not talking about the Hungarian part here, he's talking about the, uh, where they were trying to rescue Czech Jews, uh, must resign itself to the annihilation in Auschwitz crematoria. When Rabbi Weismandel received Schwab's answer, he was reminded of the two warnings he had received from his father-in-law, the, the Holy Rabbi Nitra, that in rescue work he shouldn't pin any hopes whatsoever upon either the Catholic Church or the World Zionist Movement, and he blamed himself for wasting his time by not heeding his warning and subsequently vainly expending uh, mighty efforts which he could have directed to more beneficial areas. It is common knowledge that Eichmann proposed to Dr. Kastner's committee that Jewish lives be exchanged for merchandise, a proposal which he termed merchandise in exchange for blood. Now, the Zionists interpreted that Jewish blood for a Jewish state. So the point is that I'm making here is that what happened on October 7, 2023, when Hamas came in there and killed so many of these Jewish people, and it seemed like the military was just totally not there to help save these people. That And, and by the way, their cell phones worked. There was no collapse in communication. They were calling and screaming and crying for help from the Israeli military and police, and nobody was showing up. All right? So it's kind of like what we see in the history already that we see in this book here, uh, Holocaust Victims Accused. Once again, it was as if blood was needed in order to be able to get global sympathy in order to bring about a war, which to me it's not just with Iran. It will be with Syria. It will be with Lebanon. And, of course, they need the United States to cooperate in that. And what upsets me so bad, John, is that, I mean, I'm appalled, uh, appalled at what happened to the Jewish people. But then at the same time, I realize there's a neck that turns that head. You know, Hamas can be a rattlesnake, no doubt, but there's a neck that's turning that rattlesnake's head. And the people have got to recognize this. Now, they have, the Israelis have caught on so much that something went really crazily wrong that now they're trying to keep in silence even Israelis from speaking out about this because they don't want to lose the momentum of support. And then... To make matters worse, uh, Israel, of course, they say they're targeting Hamas, but as they're doing all their bombing in the West Bank, you know, you've got, of course, now you've got thousands of Palestinians that are dying, and especially in the area of children. And I know sometimes I see on there, they'll say, oh, they've got a crisis actor doing this or that. They don't need any crisis actors. Anybody that has any brains at all that watches what's happening in Gaza knows civilians are dying by the hundreds. And, of course, the Israeli government is saying, well, they're using them as human shields, and that's what they get for using them as human shields. I mean, Aliyat Sheikh, who is the former justice minister under Prime Minister, uh, former Prime Minister Neftali Bennett, you know, she actually posted on her Facebook page that all the mothers of those that committed crimes against Israel should all be lined up and killed. And she said, because you got to kill them in case they give birth to another snake. I mean, this is 
a Knesset, and she's been in the Knesset for over a decade, different positions over over time there. Um, and, you know, I mean, you have to understand, John, at one time I was very pro-Zionist myself. I did not like Palestinians. I have to be honest about it. I didn't. You know, I come from a Jewish background, Jewish family. I was part of the Chabad organization for over 20 years. You know, I, I was very much Zionist like most Christian Zionists were, but more from a Jewish perspective because coming from a Jewish background. You know, and, and I'll never forget when I lived in Israel in 2004, a good friend of mine, he was an Israeli soldier. He actually rented a room in the house that I lived in, and, and he would come there for doing his, uh, he had to go through therapy because he was in a, in a Jeep accident. And I'll never forget him telling me, tell, tell, he told me one day, he said, you know, we were talking about, you know, the situation down in Gaza and stuff like that. He said, oh, Steve, he says, you know, he says, he says, you know, this is how I got good at shooting. I said, what do you mean this is how you got good at shooting? He said, seeing how far away I could shoot and kill a Palestinian. And his name was Iran. He was, uh, he was uh, actually Arabic Jewish person. You know, his family was from uh, Yemen. And I said, you what? And, and at the time, you know, like you got to remember, though, I, I didn't care much for Palestinians anyway, but that kind of sunk a little bit for me because I'm a Christian, right? And really, truly, if you're a Christian, why are we supporting killing in the first place? I mean, did we ever see Jesus talk about it like that? Did he ever? Do we ever see Jesus go out there? Oh, kill the neighbor while you're at it. You know, I mean, there was a time in Israel's history where God said, when they came down into the land, to clear the land out of, of all the enemy there. But you got to remember, in the land were Nephilim. They were giants. These were people. You know, gosh, what were they? You know, nine foot tall, ten foot tall, whatever the case may be. Obviously, they weren't they weren't really human to begin with. You know, so God had commanded Israel at that time to go in there to take these 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 these, these giants out. You know, we read this in the book of Numbers, I think in chapter thirteen, and literally in the Hebrew language, it calls them Nephilim, and it says that Enoch was from. Uh, and, and, and if you'll ever notice in Hebrew, it doesn't spell it the same way. It, they put the vowels in there, and they say Nephilim, but it's not Nephilim. I think in King James it says uh, giants, but it's actually Nephilim. So his father was an actual fallen angel. So some people say, well, can't be there's no Nephilim on this side of the flood. God killed them all. Well, I don't know how they got back in here, but I, you know, the Bible clearly says that they're there. And, of course, Joshua was dealing with that. And you know, they talk about that they were giant, you know, they look like grasshoppers next to these things, you know. So there, there, there was a time where this was necessary. But what a lot of people don't even realize, John, I mean, even Ben-Gurion stated in his own diaries and everything that, that he believed that more than 50% of Palestinians were actually Jewish people from 2,000 years ago. And they've just they've been in the land ever since. In fact, he did. He was trying to do a campaign to convert them back to Judaism because many of them were, uh, many of them were actually Christians. They weren't even Muslim. They were Christians. So, you know. So the thing is, is we're watching all this happen, and we're seeing that they're they're wanting to get a war going, but the only way to get the support of NATO and the United States and Christians, etc., is to have that massive loss of life, and and yet, and when the massive loss of life happens, nobody ever really thinks critically. They're not thinking about, well, gosh, how did that happen? I mean, I wouldn't have a problem if it was only like an hour or so, or, you know, let's say something did happen and the military didn't respond very quickly, but they did get there. Wasn't so long after that, you know. And, and even if even if we had the part they moved the military, but you know, 30 minutes later the military is on the scene because they're getting backups and getting in there. 
or helicopters are seen overhead trying to take them out. And yeah, but they got maybe 50 hostages, but they didn't get 200. The strange thing is when you look at this IDF soldiers uh, report on this is that, like he said, where were the helicopters? He said they don't show up until after all the hostages are safely back inside of Gaza. That just seems odd in itself. The military doesn't show up until all the hostages have cleared the fence and are deep inside Gaza territory. Now the military shows up. I mean, does not anybody put two and two together and say, what are you? I mean, there's just no way. There's no way. And the few that were bold and brave that did fight, you know, there, there were, uh, you know, a policeman or two here and there that died, a couple of soldiers here and there that died, but nothing like what it should have been. There should have been a, a defense like never before. And, of course, I've seen the video footage and stuff. I understand what he means by they come in uniformed, very well prepared, very, very well organized, and very capable of carrying out the tasks that they did. And then the second thing that really began to make me question about things is the fact that when Israel began to really bomb the Dickens out of Gaza, I'm thinking to myself, Israel knows where those hostages are. They know. I mean, you can't indiscriminately bomb. So, and I I know they say, well, every target we're hitting is Hamas targets. They know where they are because if not, they're taking a major risk at killing the hostages themselves. In fact, if anything, I would only do very pinpointed strikes knowing only you're hitting command and control centers and then do the ground invasion because that's the only safe way to get in there and find your hostages if you're going to go in that way. Not go in there and carpet bomb the entire northern section of Gaza and and wipe everything out to where there's hardly a cockroach left alive. I mean, because what if you're – what if you're – what if all of your – hostages were up under there somewhere where they would be dead, especially using J-Dam bombs in there, you know, that, that blow up into the ground, 30 foot into the ground. There would be no, the, the concussion alone would kill them. So things just didn't seem to line up. And then when you get all this, you got all that going on. There's another, there's another aspect to this too, John, that a lot of people don't think about. And, and, and 20, um, let's see, let me go back, going back six years ago, in 2018, roughly, when I lived in Europe, I was over there for, for four years, lived Prague. I'm a, a resident of Prague. Uh, my kids are all dual citizens. But I'm over there, and while I'm there, and we have the Syrian, uh, the conflicts going over there, the destabilization, ISIS coming in, all these refugees are pouring into Europe. I mean, I was covering it left and right because I would go to Germany, I'd go to the Netherlands, I'd go to England, and I'd go to France because everything was close for me. I could drive over there with no problem. We begin to cover this. And as we saw this, and it was majority, John, it's majority men that were there. Now, this is all linked back to what happened in Israel and what's going on in Gaza now. So I want people to really think about this for a moment. But six years ago, as I was covering all this, one of the things that I made a statement on on more than one occasion and that is they're sending them into West, is mostly Western Europe. Hardly any of the Eastern Europe had, this, had, had refugees, mostly just Western Europe. I said they're going to use these refugees to destabilize Europe in the future. So that's why they're sending them. Just like you mentioned earlier in the broadcast, John, we've got, we've got Hamas and, and, and Hezbollah coming across our southern border. 
I actually saw the video footage just recently where a guy was down there on our southern border where the military has got a checkpoint there processing these people, and they were African, Muslim, and Indian from people from India inside the tent being processed in. What, I mean, what, where, where's the Mexican people? Where's the Latinos at? I thought they're the ones trying to get the freedom here in the United States. But no, we've got people from Africa. And and I don't say that in any disrespect uh, to people of color by no means. I'm just trying to make a point. It's people from Africa. You don't have that many Africans living in South America or, or, or Mexico. You definitely don't have people with turbans on from India living in Mexico. And you definitely don't hardly ever see Arabs uh, that you know obviously are Arabic, living in Mexico. And they're all being processed across the border. It's the same thing that went on in Europe. Now, the whole point was, here's where I'm going with this. Israel needed this attack to really justify the bombing of Gaza, not just to bomb it, but to bring about such a carnage of civilian loss of life. They want a new world order, John. And what they're doing by this relentless bombing of Gaza is inciting all the Muslim people that have been, that have been put in these different lands, Germany, Netherlands, France, Britain, the United States, etc. They have put them in those lands there so that when this would happen, the protests would begin to break out. Now, here's we're going to go somewhere with this now. Now, they're protesting, trying to get them to stop the bombing. But is Israel stopping? Nah, not at all. In fact, after all that happened, even after the hospital got bombed and after the church got bombed and you know, and I mean, some people say, well, they flated the numbers and and they say really it was actually. Uh, Hamas's own rocket that went in there and hit the hospital. Look, I, I watched one of the most incredible analysis ever given, investigative analysis on that. And step by step, they show you the very rocket they claim, which, by the way, Israel did remove the video because they didn't want anybody to know the truth about it. It was taken out by the Iron Dome. And so in the other analysis I got to see, that was taken out. And it was like about five seconds later, then goes in a rocket past that, right across that trajectory there, and totally hits the area near the hospital, which there was a lot of people outside, and that's what killed so many people. Now, with that being said, though, the reason why they want those deaths is they're, if you're going to create a new world order, there are several things that has to happen. One, you've got to disarm the world. You've got to also take... Uh, you've got to, and the disarming of the world, by the way, is you've got to remember, Jewish people as a whole do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They just don't. And unfortunately, because we have so many, uh, so many of, our, of our Christian brothers and sisters that have gotten blinded into thinking that we shouldn't even witness to Jewish people, that they've become, and they've become so pro-Zionist, that we have totally failed at being a good witness. And I'm not talking about trying to force Jewish people or anything, you know. Let Jewish people come to Christ as they feel convicted upon their heart. But the thing is, is they've gotten so blinded to the true purpose that even they don't recognize the fact 
that Israel needs Jesus Christ as their Messiah. He is the Messiah that God sent 2,000 years ago. He's not sending another Messiah to them. They're not going to get some new Messiah that we did, you know, that, that you know, so, oh, okay, we're going to get a whole new Messiah and, you know, don't worry about it. Come on, no, the only way is through Jesus Christ and him alone. And so what's happening is that the Christian church now is supporting and going against the very teachings of Jesus Christ to support Israel blindedly. It's almost like Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. And he's already told us, he says about uh, the Orthodox of, of his day, he said, he said, you're blind. You know, what is it over in Revelation? Bl- the Laodicean church is blind, miserable, naked, wretched, and don't even know it. That's the sad part. The church got blind. And so the problem is, is that in order to create a new world order, Israel has, if they're going to fabricate, which we do know the scripture is true when it says they're going to turn their swords into plowshares, there is going to be a time where that is going to happen. But you have to remember, orthodoxy in Israel believes that Jesus is not the Messiah, so therefore they've got to have a Messiah come, and they believe that the law is going to go out of Jerusalem. So we've got to have a new world order, and everybody's got to come under that authority, and the only way to turn your swords into plowshares is that there's enough carnage on the earth to where they can now demand what we call the Noahide laws, uh, that is the Talmudic seven laws. They look very much like the Ten Commandments. But there's a hundred sub-laws, and those laws require the death penalty by beheading. Now, I had one minister say, he got a little upset with me, He's a, and, and I've known him for years. I love the brother with all my heart, but I realize he just doesn't get what I'm saying. But he got really upset with me, and I realize why, because a lot of the people that follow him also follow our ministry, and they put a lot of pressure on him when I started bringing these things out. And so he got on his own channel, and he started saying, you know, and those of you that think that the Noahide laws, he said, I'm sick and tired of the Noahide laws. He said, you're never going to see the Jews beheading Christians. I agree with him on that. No, they won't. It's just like with Jesus. Did they crucify Jesus directly? No, they did not. They brought him to Pilate, and they said that uh, you need to judge this guy. Pilate goes in there, he you know, scrutinizes everything, comes back, and said, I don't find any fault in him. They said, well, by our law, he ought to die. Notice that. By our law, he ought to die. What did he do that was so bad? You know, when he was sitting there before Caiaphas, the high priest, Caiaphas finally gets really angry, and he says, I adjure you by the living God. Answer me. Are you the Son of God? Jesus, even though we know he was, he didn't even say he was. He just said, thou sayest. And as soon as he said that, Caiaphas rips his garment and says, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. He is worthy of death. By his law, by Talmudic law. It wasn't a law of God. It was a Talmudic law. And it's in the law of kings in the Talmud. It's in the Babylonian Talmud, for those that don't know where it's at. And there's like a hundred sub-laws. And yes, so in other words, if the seven Noahide laws were to be passed, then technically, and one, and by the way, one of those laws is set up courts of justice. In other words, they're not going to carry out the sentence themselves. They want the Gentiles to set up the courts of justice so you carry out the justice upon yourself. Just like Pilate. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you have violated one of those Noahide laws. And According to the law, you're to be 
decapitated. That's in the Talmud, decapitation, which is interesting in itself because if you look at the, uh, and I'm going to come right back to this part about the unrest going on, that's going to happen. Uh, I want to get back to that in just a second. But if you look at um, the Freemasons, the 21st degree Mason is called a Noahide. That's interesting. A Noahide? Yes. And guess what his job is? He is the executioner for those that violate Noahide laws. I mean, I'm not for Freemasonry, and I realize probably most of these people that are in the Masonic Lodge, especially at these lower levels, have no clue maybe to what really goes on when you get to the elite circle. But nonetheless, you have the 32 degrees of Masonry, and the 21st degree Mason is the executioner. Kind of makes me wonder, John, too, when in our family here, we had the 21 mils of peroxide delivered to all of us. Nobody could ever figure out what that was. It cost my father-in-law's life. Wow. Is that not a subliminal message? I don't know. That's a different story, though. Let me get back to this, though. So here's what's going to happen. Now, this is just my opinion. I'm going to share an opinion what I think is happening right now. They're going to continue to really relentlessly cause more death of civilians because ultimately they want the protest. Now, this is not Israel. This, and, and please, I, I want every person listening to understand this. This is not Jewish people that want this. All right? Now, the Jewish people, are they angry about what Hamas did to their own families and their brothers and their sisters? Yes, they are. Do they have a right to be? Yes, they do have a right to be. Although they may be duped, not every Israeli is duped either. I think they're they're saying already that over 50% of the population knows something went wrong and it's not what they're being told. That's being leaked out of Israel already. But they want to continue to bomb Gaza to where enough civilian death happens to where those protests turn to violence. Now, that's my opinion. They want it to turn to violence because what will happen then? If they can turn this into violence, then you will see these Arabic people that have been put all over the world. And understand... They're watching a mass slaughter of Arabic people. And, and not, when I say Arabic people, you have to understand the Palestinians that are being killed in Gaza right now, they are Christians there. And there's Muslims there. And then there's secular, you know, probably not as many secular because you're normally one way or the other. You're, it's a very religious country. But there's a lot of Christians there, and people don't even think about that. They don't, even, they don't realize that there's actually Christian people amongst these Arabic people that are your brothers and sisters in the first place. But if they can kill enough of them, then what do you think the rest of the Arabic world is going to do? They're going to, uh, there's going to be a place where they can't take it any longer either, and they figure, well, if the governments of the world are not going to stand up and help They're going to target not only the Jewish people in other parts of the world, they're going to also start targeting Christians because they realize, especially in the United States, you've got so many Christian people calling out for the support of Israel. And like I said, if we just look at it at face value, I could understand why they would say that, support Israel. But they're not looking at what's going on behind the scenes. They didn't look at how this all happened. So nonetheless, as these as these Palestinians are dying like this, and they're literally thousands and thousands and, 
and, and children, my gosh, well over a thousand Palestinian children already dead because of all this. These people are going to lose it. They're going to lose it, John, and when they, when they begin to kill these people, in fact, when I was getting this update about this whole issue about Hamas, I actually asked that to the friend that I had in D.C., and he told me, he says, look, he said, Steve, I'm telling you. He said, this war that's going to happen is, is, is twofold purpose. He said, one, they want to collapse the economic system of the United States. And then I asked him about what I'm telling you now, about being able to, they'll, they'll use it to justify the targeting of Christians and things like that and, and the Jewish people uh, and throughout Europe and throughout the United States, etc. He said that was the purpose. And the reason they want to do that is because then when the unrest begins to break out and it gets so bad, Unless by some God's grace something changes, all right? I'm just saying, I'm not saying this is in, totally inevitable. You know, something could happen that this would stop, the killing would stop, and then you wouldn't, it wouldn't go to that extreme. But I believe that what they're doing, they're trying to get it to that extreme because they want to bring about this carnage, have more Jewish blood. Like in the book Holocaust Victims Accused, they need a Jewish blood, according to that book, in order to get a Jewish state. Well, what do you need to do in order to get a globalist new world order? What do you need to do if you want to be able to justify having Noahide laws become a universal law around the globe? Remember the Poway rabbi that stood up in the United Nations and he screamed out? He said, the blessed rabbi of memory, Menachem Schneerson. He's talking about the Chabad rabbis they believe was the Messiah. He said, he said that we have to come back to the basics, that the world must adopt the Noahide laws. He said, in fact, if the Noahide laws were adopted, we wouldn't have had what happened at the Poway Synagogue. Now, my heart goes out to the people of the Poway Synagogue because that was a very ruthless attack. But at the same time, the United States is built on the Ten Commandments. Our justice system was built on the Ten Commandments. If you want to take these seven Noahide laws and just look at their basic fundamental idea, it's basically your Ten Commandments, but just not all of them. So why then does he think that suddenly seven Noahide laws, for some reason, is going to stop crime from all over the world, and the Ten Commandments didn't do it in the first place? Well, the reason why he's stressing that is so that they will get it. And if they get enough blood spilled, guess what's going to happen? Martial law will take place after the dust settles here in America and in Europe, especially in America. And I've been told Biden is biting at the bit to disarm this nation. They'll disarm this nation because they'll say that, because once they start turning on the Jewish people and on the Christians and stuff like that, and these attacks begin to happen within the United States, do you think that 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 people here, patriots of this country, are just going to sit back and allow their people to be slaughtered? No. And should they? You know, look, I, I understand that as well. No, if, if, if Christians are being slaughtered, just like the church over in Texas, uh, where they where that one young man comes in there and kills these entire families. In fact, the guy's name, John, was just like here. His name was John. He's a good friend of mine. He'd followed our ministry for a long time. It was his family that suffered the most loss, his wife. His mother, mother-in-law, father-in-law, uh, their children. I think he only had one or two ch children that survived. 
And he even told me when that when that incident happened, he you know he was so distraught and, and no doubt rightfully so. He said, you know what, Steve? Because some people call that a false flag too. No, it wasn't a false flag. It really happened. He said, my wife cared so much for that young man and knew that he was very disturbed and would always do kind things for him to try to help him. And he said, I watched him put a gun right between my my wife's eyes and, and, and shot her right in the head. He said, she's already wounded, but then he comes and does that. He said, but I'll tell you something that the world will never tell you. He said, the only person that stopped him, he said, of course, now he left the church after killing so many people. He said, but the one person that stopped him was an armed citizen. He heard the gunshots going off. He was coming to stop him. He jumped in his car, he said, and he chased him down and he shot him. He said, but they never told anybody about that, that it was the right to bear arms that kept him from maybe killing somebody else as well. But they're going to make sure they have a reason to take away your arms because why? Like I said, Israel knows that the prophecy is they'll turn their plowshares or their their weapons into plowshares. So even though we know that the time is supposed to come for the fulfillment of these scriptures, Israel is very busy to make sure that they can manufacture as many of them as they can, bring about a globalist agenda, and take out as many people, you know, that don't, that don't agree with them as they possibly can along the way. And there again, when I say Israel, please don't mistake, this is not the Jewish people. Majority of Jewish people would never believe like this, but when Netanyahu came back into power, he bought, brought in people into his coalition, Ben Gavir, you know, who followed Kahani. Known terrorists in Israel, basically he was classified a terrorist, these are people that want to take and throw every Christian out of Israel. You know, uh, others in his Knesset. I mean, some of the most radical people you could ever imagine. That's why, I mean, people look at what's been going, what was going on in Israel before this whole attack took place, which, by the way, the attack also was meant to help galvanize Israelis together to where Netanyahu could get those extremist laws passed. They basically put women at the back of the bus. Believe it or not, that's one of them. Yeah, women would have to ride the back of the bus. Uh, and it would put the ultra-Orthodox in complete control of all of Israel. Uh, women would lose all their rights over there. It, it, it'll go back to, wow, I don't even know of anything in America that we ever had that was like that. But it, it's very extremist views. I mean, if you know anything about uh, Orthodox society and the way that, that they believe, women are to have no rights whatsoever. Um, so... There's a very strange move that we're going to see. Uh, and, of course, by the way, once this issue kicks off with Iran, and, uh, and of course, like I said, I had an officer come to my house here just a couple of days ago, uh, and he told me that Israel would not invade Gaza until we get our troops into place, mainly because we know that Israel cannot handle Hezbollah. If they start into Gaza, we'll have, they'll have too many resources on the ground. They'll get bogged down into that. And then Hezbollah is going to hit. Uh, Iran won't do it directly. Iran, and he even mentioned that to me as well. I already knew that. But he said Iran will use their military proxies in the region in Syria, et cetera, to also launch attacks against Israel. Uh, just like the Houthi rebels, uh, he said the other day, which I didn't know the full details, but he gave me the full details. He said the Houthis sent 20 drones and two cruise missiles towards Israel. He said we took them all out. 
He said, but where do you think they got the cruise missiles? Well, I said, I already know. They got them from Iran. Uh, uh, I said, not only that, they also have one nuclear weapon down there, too. He said, really? I said, yeah, they have a nuke. I said, that was given to them back when Trump, the last year, was in office. The Iranians moved one nuclear weapon to the Houthi rebels in Iran. So these are some of the things, John, that are going on. And and the world is just, you know, what can I, I'd say this, John, if I can encourage everyone that's listening tonight, not only do we need to pray for our brothers and sisters everywhere on, on this planet right now, not just Israel, but even the United States, because some very sinister things are going to come against us. And we need to be praying for one another. But we also need to pray for God to give us the wisdom and open our eyes about what's going on, not just to be blinded uh, to what's happening in the Middle East, but also to, you know, remember the Jewish people. And, and be, if you've got friends that are Jewish, you know, don't just think that, oh, God's just going to save them because they're Jews. No, witness to them. If God will open a door and they're willing to listen for a little bit, share the love of Jesus Christ with him. Because that's what they really have need of. You know, we we could end a lot of this fighting and wars if we would just share the love of Jesus Christ uh, more so than what's being done already. And, you know, because th- there's so much evil that's going on. Um, and... And it's not going to get any better, not anytime soon, that's for sure. Um, so, and of course, Netanyahu is, 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 is sounding the, 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 the bells that, that, uh, that Israel is the light and that the Palestinians are the sons of darkness. You know, and, and we know he's getting this from the Dead Sea Scrolls, but if you ever look at what Jesus said, it's just the opposite. He actually calls... When the scripture says that, you know, he brought, he brought us, uh, he said, you were brought out of darkness unto, unto the light. And Jesus Christ was that light that was given. Not only does Jesus say it several times in the New Testament, but we also have Paul speaking about it on multiple occasions as well. You know, and if the darkness was, if, if, if Israel was in darkness, and we know that they were under Pharisees and, and Sadducees of their day and everything, and then the leadership of Israel is being controlled once again by Pharisaic, uh, the Pharisaic dynasty, then we might want to consider that maybe Matthew 24, when Jesus says that uh, uh, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, that the real battle that we're fixing to watch right now unfold before our eyes is the kingdom against kingdom. And that kingdom is, is the Pharisaic dynasty is once again trying to establish its roots and, and really come against Christians, because the Christians, those that believe the, the message of Jesus Christ, because they, they remember they asked Jesus the question, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And if you ever pay attention to what he says, he goes on and he actually tells you when it's going to be reestablished. It's when they receive, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the kingdom gets reestablished to Israel. And so therefore, that's why Paul speaks about he that is a Jew is not a Jew outwardly, but he that is a Jew is a Jew that, that is one inwardly. And circumcision is not of the flesh, but of the heart. And that's what, John, that's what so many people are missing. They're totally missing what we really need to know and scripturally um, where we should actually be at right now. 
You know, I mean, so, you know, you know, when you look at the, like I said, when you look at the scriptures here, um, you know, and see, you know, like, for example, in the book of John, you know, uh, he, he, several places in there, he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. Uh, you know, he says here in John chapter 12, verse 35, then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. So Jesus Christ is that light. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not where, where he goes. And, you know, you have it in, uh, you know, the book of Matthew. Um, you know, on, on multiple occasions in the book of Matthew as well, where he speaks about that, where he clearly is alluding to the Pharisaic uh, dynasty that was ruling Israel and that of what he says here, you know, um, and, and I was just trying to find one real quick uh, here. I think Matthew eight twelve. but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. And of course, that's the famous uh, passage uh, in Matthew where uh, he says uh, in starting verse 10, when Jesus heard and he marveled, he said to them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have found no, no such great faith, no, not in Israel. And he's talking about the Roman soldier that comes to him that, that believed based on just what Jesus said it. And so he goes on to say, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Children of what kingdom? There again, they believe that, you know, the Pharisees believe that they were the kingdom. So I believe that when we see Matthew referring where Jesus says in Matthew 24, the kingdom will rise against kingdom. In fact, um, one thing, John, that a lot of people don't even pay attention to is not only does he talk about the kingdom rising up against kingdom in Matthew 24, but he goes on to say, this is what really caught my attention. I did a message on this not long ago. Um, Kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. He says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold." He's showing you the infighting that's going to go on right in amongst the believers themselves. And yet at the same time, if I'm right in my thoughts on this, and it's just a conjecture, but if that kingdom against kingdom is literally the Pharisee kingdom of 2,000 years ago trying to once again get control in the Middle East, the very dynasty that actually condemn Jesus to death, their forefathers, not them themselves, of course, naturally, you know, but if they're trying to regain that foothold after the believers have been ruling and reigning with Christ for the last 2,000 years, then certainly there's going to be a kingdom against the kingdom, and there is going to be a lot of bloodshed as a result, but the sad thing is, is to see that the love of many would wax cold. That's what happens in the church. False prophets would rise and would deceive many. How do they deceive them? I mean, I mean, think about it. 
and this is something really people have to think deeply upon. How can you sit there as a minister of the gospel and take, and I'm not against Jewish people believing, they can believe however they want to, they have a right to, there's nothing, I'm not here to condemn the fact that they believe that. We should know as Christians that they're believing in a, very blindedly, but the thing is, how can you, as a Christian minister, say to, to, your, to your congregation, well, we have a lot to learn from the Jewish people. Uh, they could teach us more about Jesus. Do you have any idea what they think of you? You know, do you have any idea what they say about you? I mean, Netanyahu actually said you're a bunch of useful idiots. That's what he says about Christians. I sat there too many times with rabbis, I mean, and, and listen and talk about the slavery that that's going to be done to the Gentiles. You know, every every Jew is going to have at least 10, 10 slaves. And they spit every time you mention the name of Jesus. You, and, and, and yet people want to say that, oh, we could learn so much from them. I, I would rather, like Jesus said, you need no man teach you. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Because that is about as nuts as it gets. But then again, if the scripture says... False prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. I can see how they're going to deceive many because they've convinced the people that for some reason the Jewish people have it all. And really, Tovia Singer, and I know Tovia, uh, and, and I don't fault Tovia because I realize he's Jewish and I realize he just doesn't see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But he is obliterating Christians. And the Christian people, I've seen more Christian people fall and and forsake their walk with Jesus Christ because of the things that Tovia teaches. And so finally I started having to do messages to refute it because I realized Christian people don't even know their own Bible to be able to to stand in defense of someone that knows. I mean, because he, what, he, what he knows, he knows very well. But he's obliterating John, the Christian community. It's like Paul when Paul was Saul, and you know, and he just wreaked havoc upon the church. That's what Tobias Singer is doing to the people right now. And Tobias, we're friends on Facebook, so I make sure that I keep posting these videos for him to look at. And this is a man that they wanted me and him to debate, and he wrote me privately. I still have all of his messages where he wrote me privately. He said, "Steve, he said I can't debate you." So the problem is, he said, I would probably agree with you in a lot of areas. He said, and that's not, he said, he said, just give me the Trinitarians and stuff. Those are the ones that I want to defeat. If I can defeat them, I'll debate them. He said, but I'm not going to debate somebody that I have a, have a difficult time defeating. And not that it would do any good anyway. But anyway, John, that's, that's about as far as I can think of as of right now to share with people. If you'd like to come in and. Sure. You know, anything sure. that you'd like to ask as well. <laughs> okay. Um, you're going to love this. <clears throat> so let's take our viewpoint up to the ISS space shuttle for a second. All right. So <clears throat> we'll start out with going back in time to 1871 when Albert Pike, the author of the Masonic Bible, 
known as uh, you know he wrote uh, he wrote a letter to Giuseppe Mazzini. Now a lot of people contest this and they try to debunk it. However, Bill Cooper, uh, one of the guys that I had worked with uh, in the first five years of uh, this this radio show, had worked with Cegis, C A Cegis, which was Bill Cooper's operation in the 90s. Bill Cooper had flown over to the uh, uh, museum in uh, the United Kingdom, and he had physically seen with his own eyes. He went there to see Albert Pike's letter. Now they've since removed it. In uh, Pike's rendition of the Three World Wars, he states, The Third World War must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agent tour of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that the, that the Islam, the Muslim Arabic world, and the political Zionism state of Israel mutually destroy one another. Meanwhile, the other nations, once more divided on this issue, will be uh, ca- uh, uh, const- constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, and spiritual and economic exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provide a formidable social cataclysm, which which in all of its horror will show clearly to the um, uh, nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and the most bloody turmoil. uh, It says, then everywhere the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilizations and the multitude of disillusioned uh, those disillusioned with Christianity whose deistic spirits will from the moment uh, from that moment be uh, without a compass or direction, anxious for uh, an ideal, but without knowing where to render the adoration, will receive the true light from the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer. Now, that writing, I'm telling you, is it's a factual writing. Bill Cooper confirmed it. He, he made an announcement. Now, let's let's take another look. We have um, we we already have all of the data that you have that is absolutely correct. Okay, so we already have all of that data about uh, the fact that this, is, this was a false flag event. If we do some proper study, which can be done, but it's getting harder and harder because of the censorship uh, out there, but if you go to FFF.org, which is uh, the Future of Freedom Foundation, there's a man by the name of J- Jacob C. Hornberger who writes an outstanding uh, uh, article about how Franklin Delano Roosevelt orchestrated the attack on Pearl Harbor intentionally to bring the United States into the war. Now, without getting into all of the details, there's plenty out there to debunk it, but the bottom line is one of the things that was said over and over again is that this was Israel's Pearl Harbor. Another thing that was said was that not only was this one 9-11, but this was several 9-11s from Israel. Now, we all know that 9-11 was an inside job. 9-11 was an inside job for the purpose of doing what? To throw the United States into endless wars in the Middle East. We know that General Wesley Clark, approximately 11 to 12 years ago, announced to a public audience about the fact that he was called in uh, after 9-11 into a particular general's office and was told that the United States is planning to topple uh, five countries in five, seven countries in five years, one of which was Iran. However, we're way behind schedule on taking out Iran. Now, we know about the 2030, uh, the 2030 Global Reset, okay, that is being sponsored by the World Economic Forum. 
All right, we know that they are instituting uh, central bank digital currencies and digital IDs all over the world. We know that the graphene oxide has been in, been injected into people's arms through the 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 uh, bioweapon attack against mankind. In you know from these entities from the bowels of Sheol, these fallen seraphim. Okay, now all of this stuff happening with Gates buying farmland, the poisoning of society, the 2030 target for the global reset, which is by the way the nickname for that ought to be the Great Tribulation, if you ask me. Okay, and then you have Jesus saying, hey, if those days had not been cut short, no flesh would have been saved. Wait a minute, the Georgia Guidestones, what's the fastest way to reduce the uh, 8 million person population down to 500 million? You give everybody guns, and you create World War III, and you start nuking the heck out of everybody. They will never be able to kill enough people to get control of the societies of this world by themselves. It is not humanly possible to pull that off. I don't care how many people that they have injecting poisons into our arms. At the end of the day, they're not going to be able to do it. They need to get us to kill each other. And that is the whole purpose of this entire deal. They couldn't get Russia to respond. They had to go through Israel to get them to operate on the false flag premise, to jettison us into World War III, to upset Russia, because Russia will defend Iran. And this thing is going to explode. And, and here's the thing. While you are correct about, there's no doubt about it, you're correct that they're going to take away our guns eventually. They don't want to take our guns away right now because the more every time that they have a, a mass shooting, every time that they take one of their mind control slaves through satanic ritual abuse and they send them into a theater to shoot up 30 or 40 people, okay, then guess what the American population does? They rush to their gun stores. They buy up crates of ammunition. They buy up crates of AK, all kinds of weapons and stuff. And that's exactly what they want people to do. They want us to think that they're going to take the guns away so that we'll go out and buy more. The more guns that people own, the bigger the wars will be, the more people that will die. Right now over in China, they have these these machines that rove around. They're like, I, I can't explain them, but they're machines and they pick up cadavers off the street. Okay, they scoop them up with a little conveyor belt. They suck the cadaver inside the machine and then they roll down the road and they pick up another dead body. Okay, this is exactly what they want to have happen. They can't kill us all with their with their shots. They can't kill us all with the next Marlborough virus that they're going to release. They can't do that in fast enough to be able to institute the 2030 global reset. So you are absolutely right. When you take a look at all of the moving parts, when you realize that for the first time, for the first time in over five, six, seven, eight years, everybody agrees. The United Nations is going behind his when's the last time the United Nations said we back Israel for the attack against Hamas. We've got Trudeau, who's a young, you know, who, who's got the Lord Jesus knows what he does behind the scenes with this entity, Klaus Schwab, uh, you know, in Switzerland. This is some dark people, and 100 of them are all agreeing on one thing, that Israel has every right to destroy Hamas and start this war with Iran. They are backing World War III because it's part their 2030 Great Tribulation agenda, and that's what they want. So all I'm doing is I'm just adding the pieces to your analysis, which is 100% accurate, from a little bit higher up of a viewpoint. When I saw Trudeau backing, when I saw the United Nations backing Israel, when I saw all of the World Economic Forum nations backing Israel, when I saw all of the most satanic, evil, murderous, bloodthirsty, shape-shifting entities from the bowels of hell backing Israel, 
to start World War III, I knew it. I knew dagnabbit well that we're not coming back from this. Okay? This is it, brother. <laughs> this is it. We're there. Uh, it, John, we're there. Can you come on with I me mean, tomorrow night? <laughs> What? Oh, um, tomorrow night is Thursday night. Yeah, I could actually. <laughs> yeah, I okay, could. I could actually come. Oh, oh because... now, now let me ask you a question. Here's the only thing. I work in a profession that cannot see my face. So can I come on without going live yeah. uh, video-wise? Okay. Yes. Let me just yes, call in and have no video. But, but I'd be happy to do that yeah. because let me tell you something. When you put it all together, my friend, we're there. You know, people used to tell me, Stephen, people used to tell me all the time, I know why Jesus said that if I had not cut those days short, no flesh would be saved. They would tell me things like, oh, well, you know, Nibiru was, is going to call us to the earth to spin at a different rate of speed, and that's how the days would be cut short. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Now we know. We know. Because that's what they're going to do. They're going to kill. They're going to give us Everything we need to kill each other, the hatred, everything, the nukes, <laughs> we're there. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's, that's exactly but, yeah. right. And exactly yeah. right. I mean, that's so spot on, John. It's not even funny. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is the people listen tonight, you know, I had no idea where you stood on this and uh and and then to see your your knowledge on this so much deeper in areas that I can't even imagine um i i think i think john this is what we need to is to to team up and then and if it works for you we could do uh 9 eastern tomorrow night i'll i'll bring you in and and we'll go for an hour and just just really help open the eyes of people of what's going on. Yeah, it, brother, if you give me a number to call, I'll call it at 9 p.m. tomorrow, no problem. You can, in fact, we'll try to do it through the Skype number that I have here. You you know what it is. I don't even know what it is, but but if not, uh, I'll take because we won't run we won't run live. Well, I don't know. We might try to run live, but probably have to pre-record it. But I'd still release it like an hour later, something like that. Uh, or you can That's just call fine. my cell phone and I can record you that way. I, either way, one way or the other, we're going to do it. I've been wanting you on for a long time. And I keep saying it and then I get sidetracked. We're not doing that no more. Let's just do it tomorrow night. That way I know I don't miss you anymore on this. Uh, hey, no, not a problem. Next? I got it. I got it written down. 9 p.m. It is, and um, uh, you know, and all, and you got, you know, I've been texting you a lot lately. So if you yeah. want to change the number or whatever, you tell me what number you want me to dial with Skype, and I'll call it. No problem. I'll look up my number to see exactly what it is on Skype. It may have used a different number to call you because I thought it was. I have a 407 number, and then I also have a number in the Czech Republic uh, number that's on my Skype. So I'll figure out for sure which one it is because I think we get a better audio quality by using the Skype number calling in that way there. That way the computer can record your voice directly into the system, and we'll get good clarity, and the people will be able to hear you very clearly. 
Hey, no problem. I'm actually typing into the SMS text messenger, the number that is showing up on the Blog Talk Radio Show console. I just don't want to say it out loud because, you know, there's there's uh, there's all those okay. Kazarian Jews that are not Jews that might call it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, brother. It's very, very true. Oh, gosh. It has been a real blessing. And and uh, to be on here with you tonight and to get to speak to, to the people that listen to the work you do. And, and, um, and Johnny, I just, I really appreciate you tremendously. And uh, so I'm looking forward to more to tomorrow night. Well, consider it done. Um, yeah. Cause uh, Thursdays are, are uh, outstanding evening for me to be able to do that. So um, consider it done. You let me know when to call. I'm going to, you know, I already got nine o'clock written down. You tell, you know, if you just text me what number you want me to call in, I'll just uh, plug it into my Skype and call you up and we'll just chat. You got it, brother. That sounds great. So God bless you. Thank you for having me on. I assume we're at our end of the time anyway. Uh, Oh yeah. We're, we're, we're into OT, but Hey, it's all good. Hey, this, this was a, this was your your knowledge is second to none. You nailed it. I remember the very morning this was happening, and you were like, "No, no, no! This this is uh, this is some kind of a false flag." And I was like, "That's fascinating." I remember texting to you. I was like, "I was just telling my sister that." <laughs> but anyway, praise God. So at least a few of us are awake. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. God bless you, too. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, I will see you tomorrow night for sure. I'll be looking at it. I'll text you even as a reminder, you know, just to get the number. Thank you so much for joining this program tonight. What a blessing you are, brother. I love you. I love you, and I love all of your work. You are awesome. Um, And, uh, folks, uh, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, United States of Babylon the Great, Friday night prayer vigil, Lord willing. God bless you all. We'll see you then. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, brother. Love you as well. God bless you and all the friends that are listening. Amen. All right. And hopefully we'll see you tomorrow night. All right. Good night.
I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory.